nights in white satin Never reaching Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast look at the Halloween franchise because love hurts, baby. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm I'm closer to being finished with this franchise, Darren. How 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 are you doing? You have only one reboot and three <laughs> more movies left. You can see the finish line inside. Hold on a second. Did three three more? When you say one three, reboot three and more three more movies, one. you don't mean four movies. You mean three. <laughs> Just to be okay. clear. Um, and I've heard the other yes. three are, 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 are um, that people like them, um, that they're not complete. Fewer ones. They, 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 don't, they don't, Andrew. They, they don't. don't. They don't at all. They, really? they, really they don't. think they like the first one, but everyone uniformly hates the second and third one. Not me. And the first one was already shit. <laughs> Oops, sorry. It was already bad. <laughs> So ha- happy hunting. Oh, <laughs> okay. I mean, we, we should point out we are talking today about Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, the hottest ticket on this season. It definitely this is. This is the episode that that whenever anybody was like, so why are you talking about Halloween 2? Why are you talking about Halloween 3? Why are you talking about Halloween Kills? They were like, okay. Because, Darren, you wouldn't let me talk about Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Um, but joining us for this discussion, the fantastic Joey Kyo, as she has for the previous nine episodes, as she will for the next three. How are you, Joey? I'm still here. I'm still alive. He hasn't got me yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we have a special, We've because this was such a hot ticket podcast, because there was so much interest in it, we don't just have one guest this week. We have two guests. First of all, the amazing Grace Duffy. How are you, Grace? I am well, thank you. And thank you for having me. Our pleasure. And the wonderful Jason Coyle. How are you, Jason? Fabulous. Um, and delighted to be here. You are a fabulous chick. Thank you, Ed. <laughs> um, this this is ba- this is basically you cashing the check for every time I have said Jay, come on and talk about Speed Two. Jay, come on and talk about. <laughs> I, I, was, I, was, I was owed a lot for Speed Two. You were owed a lot. This entire season uh, is arguably you cashing a check. So I, I, I'm definitely cashing in for this particular episode. Certainly, um, uh, I feel I've earned my stripes here. But before we get into that, um, what we have, what we do, when we have guests on because this is a season with a rotating pool of guests. Before we start talking about Halloween Two, Rob Zombie's version, Grace, what's your? And we have, we have a list, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but, but but before we get to that, <laughs> I don't actually have a list this week. That's um, I'm breaking Boo. the format, which is fantastic. Boo. Um, Boo. Now I have lied in the past and said I don't have a list when in fact I have several lists, but I do not have a list this week. Grace. What is your relationship to the Halloween franchise, to Michael Myers? Do you remember the first time you saw the movies? Have you seen them all? Uh, you know, what's your impression of the franchise as a whole? Um, overall, I'm a fan. I really like it. Um, I have quite a nice childhood memory, if that's the right word, of being introduced to it. Because my mother's family famously had absolutely no filters in terms of what they'd let us look at. So my grand-aunts let us watch Halloween, the original like John Carpenter one, when we were probably... We being my siblings and myself, probably like eight, ten, like way too young to be looking at it. Of course, it scared the shit out of us, but um, we found it fascinating and thus, you know, a relationship was born. Um, As noted earlier in the podcast, the new kind of reinvented, whatever you want to call it, versions that have been coming out since, was it 2018 or 2019? 2018. Um, I hate those. 
the Rob Zombie ones, I like this this one. I really like the one before it. I have mixed feelings on. Um, and I've seen a good few of the original kind of sequels to, to the first Halloween. Some of which I love, some of which I don't. And I love Halloween H2O. <laughs> like, randomly, that's one of my favorites. So overall, I'd say, yes, I have a pretty, pretty positive, enthusiastic relationship with them. And Jay, like, before we came on mic, you asked, when are we covering Friday the 13th? How does the Halloween franchise stack up for you among the great horror franchises? Uh, it's pretty high up there, I think, um, particularly for the amount of films made. I think the last couple probably have kind of dragged down the average a little bit. But I think, like, it's mostly solid, occasionally great. Um, and I'll take that with any kind of 30 or 40 year franchise. And it is better than the Friday the 13th, which, you know, I have a soft spot for. But I readily admit they're not very good. But they are entertainingly bad in ways that are fun when you've nothing else going on. How, how do both of you feel about Season of the Witch? That seems to be a contentious this, one. The third one. That's a divisive uh, one. Yes. The third yeah. Halloween. I, I adore it. It's one of my favorites. I expected to like it more than I did. It's definitely not the worst. Like, I respect that it's doing something a bit different, but I found it underwhelming at the same time. Yeah. Okay. It's kind now, of like, like very much kind of divides people because people, like, I'll, yeah, it, 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 it doesn't deliver on Michael Myers. Did you watch it, Andrew? Did you like it? I loved it. Yeah. yeah. Great. I, 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 I thought yeah. it was great. The, the three panel, the three judging panel here is split two one it's, on on. Halloween I I three. felt like I felt seen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Andrew's like I, these Halloween movies are great apart from Michael yeah, Myers. They, <laughs> only there were they, a way. You need to <laughs> kind of relate more to like the source material, which is you know Irish people. They, they made that for you. <laughs> Masks. Uh, before we we jump in and talk about this, like. Jay, you planted a flag for this. I think if listeners go back and listen to previous episodes, you repeatedly stress that you would love to talk about Rob Zombie's Halloween too. So before we talk about the production history of this movie, what is it about this movie that you were like, Darren, you owe me one. You're covering all 13 movies in the Halloween franchise just so <laughs> I can talk about Halloween too. I'm not, like, I'm not sure really, but I suppose it's one of those things where and I've tried not to do this anymore to a certain degree, but where when something comes out and you see the kind of critical critical reaction, and you go, yeah, I'm not watching that. Uh, I didn't particularly, well, that wouldn't be a Rob Zombie fan in musical terms either, because it's just, you know, I'm too old or it's too loud or whatever it is. But anyway, <laughs> you're whatever out. it is. Yeah, I am. Kids I these I days with their that. rock and roll and their so, buster rhymes. I didn't know he was a filmmaker. I, I dismissed him out of hand and left it sit there for like a decade and, and ignored it. And then I said, in the lonely, lonely days of uh, kind of lockdown, I said, We're, let's watch every horror franchise you can find, every single movie, because there is nothing else to do. So we did that. So we got to the Halloween films. I was like, Got to the Rob Zombie films. I quite like the first, uh, his first one. I actually think it kind of stands up a little bit better than Rewatch, I suspect it. And then I watched the second one and I was floored by it. And it really kind of came out of nowhere in that way. And I had a couple of friends of mine that would be big fans. And there's been a kind of a mini critical reappraisal of it, certainly, yes. I think, in the last decade or so. But I was kind of unaware of that. And I was unaware, for the most part, of 
A, that people hated it that much, that, that people that hate it really hate it. Like, I mean, really hate it. And anytime you mention it on a social media, on Twitter or anything, people will come on to tell you so much how they hate it. It's like me with about time to other people. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, uh, yeah, I, 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 it knocked me, knocked me out. So I'm kind of being flying the flag for it since. Yeah. I'm pretending I was there on the ground floor, which I clearly, clearly <laughs> wasn't. I mean, I, I- I don't want to kind of create an equivalence here, but it does feel like the Halloween franchise has a tendency to, to its credit, produce movies that are genuinely odd and unusual and unlike other movies in the franchise or the genre, and then over time have them critically reappraised. We talked about it with Halloween 3 Season of the Witch, where for decades that was a crap movie and a terrible mistake and an abomination and an insult to the fans, and now... Like, I think Scott Mendelson on our H2O episode was like, it feels like it's gone from being underrated to overrated somehow in the 20 or 30 years since it was released. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I yeah. think I got I got the overrated vibe, I think, because I only heard positive things about it and people talking about how, like, unusual and inventive it was. And then when I watched it, I was like, it's fine. Yeah, that was my experience. I was expecting a lot more. That was my experience, too. I think my experience was helped probably by yourself, Joey. And by no, no, <laughs> managing expectations. Knowing that you didn't yeah. like it made made me like lower my expectations of it to the point that when I did watch it, I was like, "Oh, this is this is better than I was expecting." <laughs> I'm glad. Um, I'm glad to be of service. <laughs> and I, I think it's arguably true of Halloween to the Rob Zombie version, which since 2018 has had something of a critical reappraisal. You've seen issues in places like Screensland, for example, Cine Days, uh, Reverse Shot, uh, all these like again relatively upmarket cinematic publications that have been reappraising it and putting it in context. And I think you are probably also going to see, that is not a list, Andrew, that is three <laughs> publications. That does not count as a list. Um, you will, and you're already beginning not to see them. it happen, also, I think. Also, the likes of... But also, yeah. <laughs> but um, the AV Club, uh, Box. Um, <laughs> the movie block. But you are also... The movie block, yes. Um... The Escapist. But you're also <laughs> beginning to see, um, you're beginning to see, I think, that with, like, Halloween Ends, which was released last year and was, like, critically drubbed. I've already begun to see, marking the anniversary of its release, articles that are kind of pushing for it in a similar way. Jay? I'm not sure you get to make that reappraisal, yeah, like a year later. You can't reappraise a <laughs> film after a year. A one year? Time. Time moves I, quickly, Jay. Time. I, I want a decade, a decade I, moratorium for replacements, okay. please. All right. Or at least five years. Well, we have a rule where we say no five stars for five years. Like it's like you yes. you cannot yes. rate a movie, call a movie a classic until it's five no, years. No, I think no that's in, fair. No instant classics, no instant reappraisals. I've had a handful of exceptions that proved the rule, but I take the, I do agree until I disagree when I watch yeah, it. I feel right, like you watch certain amazing. things, you think it's like a five-star movie and like you're correct and it's fine. And yeah. you, like... I'm, pre- I'm pretty... I'm correct 99% <laughs> of the time, 100% of the time. I feel like, like... According to me, I am always right. For every instant five-star like a Fury Road, you get an alleged five-star like a Birdman that absolutely no one remembers two years later. Actually, can I just point out, in my honesty... I gave Fury Road three and a half stars when it came out and it didn't Jay, even make my this top is 20 peak of the you. year. This peak is honestly, you. and I went back to it and it's like, you're an absolute fucking moron, yes, Jay, is what I said to myself a few years later. So, you know, in, in the interest of honesty. Yeah, yeah, an impartial observer. I think you also did some reaction to Get Out as well, if I remember correctly. I did, I, I really liked Get Out and then I was like, yeah, but people are going overboard. And about three or four watch day, I was like, no, people are spot on. Uh, it's us they got wrong. And nope. 
controversially. No, it's fantastic. It's not. Uh, stop it. Okay, so let's get a little background context on Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, released in 2009. Obviously, it is a sequel to Rob Zombie's Halloween reboot, notable because there really aren't that many sequels to the big reboot craze that happened. Like, you know, Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead didn't prompt a, a new franchise for the Dead movies. Um, you know, The Hills of Eyes produced The Hills of Eyes 2, the... Uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre kind of reboot got its own sequel and spinoff. But as a rule, most of these movies did not generate. Yeah, no, Andrew, it's three. It does not count as a list. I have to hit four. I have to hit four before it counts as a list. I love that, like, this is the bit. The bit is we are subverting lists. Much like Rob Zombie subverts the slasher movie, this episode is subverting the idea of lists. I'm going to keep teasing until we get there. But basically, the Rob Zombie Halloween is one of the rare of that wave of 2000s horror movie reboots remakes to spawn a direct sequel to it. And, predictably, as listeners who listened last week and who listened to the experience that Rob Zombie had working with the Weinsteins, not initially enthusiastic about signing on to direct a second movie with them. Here's him talking about what it was like the opening weekend. The day the movie came out, Bob calls me at 10am. He goes... It doesn't look good. The thing's a fucking disaster. I go, it's 10 a.m. Are there any theaters even open anywhere yet? Then he calls me a couple hours later. We're adding more screenings. The thing's going through the roof. Then Harvey calls Bob and says, if you listen to me, you could have done double. And then they start fighting. So the number one record-breaking weekend isn't good enough because I was talking to some people in their office who were like, oh, it's a nightmare here now. They're fighting. They're screaming at each other over why it's not 60 million. Um, so apparently Zombie was like, look, I'm out. I don't I don't want to make another one of these movies with these people again. So the Weinsteins respect that, even though they have a contractual option with him to make three of these movies, they figure it's probably not worth the hassle to try and force him to make these movies against his will. So instead, they go to French directors Julien Maury and Alexandre Bustello, who had directed the movie Inside, which was distributed by the Weinstein Company. That does not go well. Um, the Maori and Bustello talk about how much they love the zombie movie, how much they want to respect it, uh, that they basically, what they want to do is they want to like have half the movie take place as flashback to the missing years, then they show the teenage years of Michael, then they go to the hospital and they do like Halloween 2. They wanted to apply the same structure that Zombies Halloween had applied to the original Halloween, but to Halloween 2, the Rick Rosenthal movie. And that just did not work. So, the Weinstein Company, Dimension, had planned to have this, or Miramax had planned to have this movie in theaters for Halloween 2008. That doesn't happen. However, in the meantime, Zombie goes off. And this is Zombie's account of how he came back to make the movie. I was so burnt out after making Halloween. Halloween was a very difficult shoot. It was not particularly enjoyable. And the thought of doing anything Halloween again just seemed like no way. But then time went by, you know? A year and a half went by. So I had passed on it. Weinstein didn't even ask me about it because I was so clear I didn't want to be part of it. And then, you know, I actually heard they were making the movie with somebody else, so I didn't even think about it. Then I ran into one of the executives at something and I asked him, so how's filming on Halloween 2 going? Because I was curious. Because all the actors are my friends. And because I was curious about how things are going. And he says, oh man, we haven't even started yet. We don't even have a script. We don't even have an idea what to do. So at that, he didn't think of asking his wife. 
(laughs) I suppose he doesn't assume that she's going to be in the second one. Yes, yes. Given given that the character commits suicide halfway through the first Halloween movie, flashbacks. um, um, I I suppose he doesn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't know that yet, yeah. <laughs> I do love the idea of just assuming that Sherry is just not... Ta- we don't talk about so work at home. They're talking about doing this movie where it's all kind of like flashbacks, where it's like Lawnmower Man 2. And, and, and they're... they're um, and and that's going to feature the... But they haven't at that point spoken to any of the actors, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, we'll talk about this. This is... the Like, put a pin in that idea that none of the actors know that they're making Halloween 2 yet, right? right? Also note that it is, at this point, a year and a half since Halloween has been released, right? Which, keep in mind that Halloween 2 was released two years after Halloween. So, Zombie signs on to direct Halloween... Three years, wasn't it? Uh, no, 2007, 2009. Oh, sorry, I thought you were talking about the, 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 the original ones. That was 78 and 81. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, so, very good. I like that. I like that you remember that. That's nice. Um, I'm impressed. See who's the master of this now. But basically, <laughs> basically, Zombie says, look, he hears that they're, they haven't got a script. They haven't started shooting. And the thing is a mess. And he says, so at that point, I'd gone on tour, finished a record, been around, you know, around the country touring and stuff. And I didn't have my next movie. And I was, you know, recuperated for sure. And I was like, the idea of coming back to it seemed really interesting at that time because I'd missed all the actors and really, you know... I liked what we had started, and I really, at that point, wanted to continue on. So, Zombie signs on to write and direct Halloween 2 in December 2008, eight months before it is due to arrive in cinemas. Holy shit. Brave man. Which is, frankly, insane. He is given the script that Maori and Alexander, and sorry, Marion Bastillo had written, and he's like, no. Just, just no. Um, he decides that he's going to rewrite it from scratch. He also reaches out to the various actors and discovers that they have not been contacted about coming back at all. Pointedly, and we will talk about this when we get into the spoilers and we talk about what the movie's about, Malcolm McDowell, who enjoyed working with Zombie and who would go on to work with Zombie after this, was literally so unavailable that he only had two days available to shoot scenes for this movie. Wow. And he had to be written into the script at the last minute. Most of his scenes are shot at the hotel where McDowell was staying while they were shooting the movie because they had so little time with him. Wow. Uh, That actually explains a lot. Yeah. Uh, Remember they shot the bit with Weird Al? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, again, we'll talk about the weird illness later on. But weird, Mr. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Weird. Yes, Mr. Weird. Um, but basically, it's like, can you come to my Marriott? <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, zombies theory here, and and it's a good theory, is right. Making Halloween with the wine scenes was a miserable experience for me, and I was very reticent to do a second one. I did the second one, and I thought, okay, the first one was miserable. But it did well, so it'll be easier the second time. It was worse. Oh my god. I felt like they weren't trusting me on the first one because they wanted to make sure it was a hit, and now they weren't trusting me not to fuck up the hit that I had made for them. Detailing why the experience was not one he looks back on favorably, he said, They would show me scenes from my Halloween to try and make a point, and I'd be like, Yeah, I know. I made that movie. Why are you showing me footage from my own movie to explain what I'm doing wrong? It does actually sound very Weinstein-esque, though. It does. It was, again, a famous... It's like weird, like, psychological warfare. 
famously a horrifically, horrifically troubled movie. Shot in Alabama. Uh, snow. They got snow while shooting. The cast, when they were filming outside, were freezing, despite the fact that Atlanta is supposed to be very hot. There was an incident when they were flying footage back to Los Angeles to edit, where it got put through an X-ray machine, and they lost a whole days of foot, a whole day of footage. Um, that meant you'd run into traffic. <laughs> Oh, that that sequence is a sequence early in the movie where they were. It's it's n- it wasn't like a cheap sequence they lost. They lost a sequence where they hit a cow with a car, a money Ugh. shot. Oh, jeez, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, not that part. And you will tell, like Richard Brake, the actor who appears in that scene, who is British. He had like filmed the scenes, hopped on a plane and flown back to London, then had to hop on a plane fly back to uh, to Atlanta to shoot that and shoot it all out in a couple of hours, which is why that scene is shot in an intense close-up. If you watch that scene, it is literally just his face because they don't have the same van set that they used. They just literally had to shoot it intensely on his face. It was apparently like a nightmare to get this movie made. And he manages to his credits. Some- that, that works well. It does. I think. It's because he's so the, good, the though. Extreme- yeah, good at being bad. <laughs> That's what he does. That's his bread and butter. <laughs> the very convincing uh, imitation of a dog barking, apparently. I had that on earlier, and my boyfriend walked by and was like, is that a dog? And I was like, no, it's a man in pain. <laughs> it's, it's Richard Brake. Um, it's the great actor, Richard Brake. Um, the man who killed Bruce Wayne's parents, or one of the men who killed Bruce Wayne's parents. That's where I've seen him. I was literally <laughs> sitting there going, I can picture him just coming out of the shadows somewhere, and I was like, that's it. Yeah. Joe, Joe Chill. Yep. Yeah. He's like yeah. a groovy guy. Because I knew him from like a million things, but I was like, no, there's a specific image in my head that I associate him with, and I couldn't place it, and it's that. Now that you say it. One of the great British sleazy character actors. But against all odds, like... I bet he's lovely. Zombie. Sorry, I should I should never say that about a public person. Because <laughs> <I don't laughs> you like, will never be... Uh, while you mention it, let me refer to my notes. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> yeah. To be fair, a lot of the time when you have people who are known for playing scumbags, they're, they're known IRL for yeah. being very nice. <laughs> like they must vent all of their drama on screen. But basically, like, the he manages, a, like, and again, you have, like, lots of drama that happens during filming. Like, Bill Mosley, who is a regular for Zombie, uh, he is cast in a role and he walks off the film in protest of how, like, the, how Miramax are treating Zombie. Which feels strange, because that seems like it's something that makes Zombie's job harder. <laughs> but the two of them apparently <laughs> still get on. Like, the, he does appear in later movies with him as well. But he's like, no, I just, the, the atmosphere on that set was so toxic. Which is why you'll notice that one of the actors in this movie plays two different roles because they recast it with some guy who was standing around waiting to shoot another scene later in the movie but basically zombie manages against all odds to get this done get it in the can get it edited screens it for the weinsteins the weinsteins are like no this this is not what we want and we'll talk about when we get into the spore zone specifically what it was but you end up with a situation where Zombie is flown back out to Alabama with the, sorry, to Atlanta with the primary cast of this movie to reshoot the climax of it less than a month before the movie opens in cinemas. What? This is insane. It is pure chaos. This is one of those stories of like a really troubled, messed up production ultimately creating something that 
incredible though yeah <laughs> like all the all the difficulty that goes into it has actually benefited it in some way yeah yeah i mean the thing like zombie comes off of this and he basically goes never again like he mm -hmm. says i am never working in the studio system again like he quite literally says like he makes lord of salem after this and he makes it with Bluehouse, and he makes it with a fraction of the budget that this lord movie of salem has. is so good it is yeah. his magnum opus great it's amazing Love yeah, it it so much and his like his his comment on making Lords of Salem is so wonderfully passive aggressive because it's it's very clearly like just so you know what making Halloween wasn't after coming off Halloween two and working with the Weinsteins which was just a miserable experience from start to finish I was so sick of the whole process of making movies Bloomhouse was very new at the time now everybody knows them they're a massive success but they were just starting and their whole pitch was we will give you the money and leave you one hundred percent alone just deliver us the movie which is the exact opposite of working with the Weinsteins who interfere constantly. That's why Lord of Salem is my weirdest movie. They told me to do whatever I want, and that's what I did. Um, and like Joey, as our resident LDG, <laughs> our little uh, living dead girl, um, <laughs> our expert on Rob Zombie on the podcast, how would you position Halloween Two in the grand context of zombies filmography? It's it's really really interesting because again, as we were just saying, like all of the chaos that happened behind the scenes, you don't see any of that on screen. And if you do, it kind of works in its favour. It's, for me, the first one was a battle between someone with a unique vision and a studio. And that's why it feels kind of disjointed where half of it's really interesting and half of it's really boring. With this one, like you'd never know that they were interfering as much as they were because it really, really feels like his vision 100% for better or worse the whole way through. But obviously, when it comes to his movies, I personally rank it a little bit lower because I think he's just done a lot more interesting stuff when he's been left to his own devices, like the Lords of Salem, like the Firefly trilogy. Um, but yeah, I think as it stands, it's definitely one of the more interesting Halloween movies for sure. And definitely one of the more interesting Rob Zombie movies as well, especially once you know what he's been through. Yeah. I mean, Zombie himself has said, like, this is the one that he thinks is his movie. He talks yeah. about how... The original, like the the original, the remake of Halloween was fifty percent his movie and fifty percent a remake, um, and he says this is one hundred percent me. Um, Michael's world is one hundred percent me. Um, that sort of yeah, stuff, and he says it's, the it's only very light cribbing as well from the franchise. It feels like there's kind of like some kind of Halloween too, uh, but not much. Uh, I I mean we'll we'll talk about that when we, when we get into the spoiler zone. I I think the way that Zombie uses Rick Rosenthal's Halloween two is very clever. It is, and it's one of the things that I I honestly kind of love about the movie. Yeah, uh, and just to r kind of to wrap up the the production stuff, we we talked a moment ago about like the idea that after this Zombie goes and he ends up working at Bloomhouse. Yeah, and that kind of captures the sense of the wider context of where the horror genre is at this this moment in time in 2009 because like as we've been going through the the franchise we've been looking at halloween as a kind of a mirror to wherever mainstream contemporary horror is at a given moment halloween isn't that far behind and yeah. we, we talked about you know the franchise films of the 80s the revivals of the 90s you know h2o is obviously a very scream influence film resurrection owes a lot to movies like scary movie for example yep. you know zombies halloween belongs in the intersection of like torture porn 
and the reboot saga. It will go on. We'll talk about like David Gordon Green's Halloween as a you know a nostalgia sequel, a legacy sequel, so to speak. You know, Kills is a pandemic movie, whether intentionally or otherwise, and ends. You can even kind of tie to this wave of of Stephen King movies or Stephen King influenced movies. Right. And and I think what's really interesting about this movie about zombies Halloween two is that it really doesn't feel like it belongs to any particular trend. And it's arguably the first Halloween movie since Halloween 3 that doesn't feel like it's reacting to something in the air in in the moment. Yeah. And to be clear, I don't think that's some master plan. I don't think it's some genius artistic idea driving the movie. I think it's more just that, like, in 2009, horror was in a weird state. We, we mm-hmm. talked about how... So few of these reboots, remakes, uh, you know, reimaginings spawn sequels. Yeah. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, The Hills of Eyes, those are really the only ones that spawned franchises. So Halloween 2 doesn't really belong as part of that larger trend. The, the, the torture porn genre is kind of exhausting itself at this point. This is coming out in 2009, which is, I believe, the same year as Saw 7, Boo. which is the, the first Saw movie to underperform at the box office and the point at which, like, Lionsgate just stopped churning out Saw movies every Halloween like clockwork. Uh, coincidentally, also the first Saw movie of the Obama era and, you know, a great metaphor for Obamacare. But we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> but I think that even, like, you look at... This is the year that Paranormal Activity comes out. Paranormal Activity comes out this Halloween, and it changes everything. It changes everything because, you know, it's a massive... It's a low-budget movie. It's a Bloomhouse movie. It's the movie that puts Bloomhouse on the map. It basically says horror doesn't really belong to the major or established studios anymore. It's more of an independent game, and it will be for a little while until we get back into the franchise business, which I'm sure we'll talk about whenever we come back and talk about David Gordon Green's Halloween movies. And it's also like, obviously, um, Paranormal Activity is a found footage film, and it inspires, you know, obviously there have been found footage films before. Uh, we can point to movies like, for example, Cloverfield it, it is a big example there. Yeah. But like, it, it's only really after Paranormal Activity that like found footage becomes the default mode of horror storytelling in large part because it's kind of cheaper. Yeah. But obviously the, the Halloween franchise A already did a found footage adjacent horror with Resurrections, mm. but also it's coming out at the same time so it can't really react or engage with it. Obviously, I believe Paranormal Activity was like first screened in 2007, but went wide in 2009, which kind of neatly intersects the two Rob Zombie Halloween movies. So you have this idea that there's there's nothing really happening in mainstream horror. Mainstream horror is kind of adrift at this moment in time. And it's kind of fascinating that you look at something like Halloween 2, it doesn't really feel like it belongs to any larger trend. It arguably doesn't even feel like it belongs that much to the larger Halloween franchise. Yeah. And I think like that that's what's so fascinating. Like Andrew joked that like I, I make lists as we go through this podcast. <laughs> the reason why I do that is to place each of these Halloween movies in the context of what is happening in contemporary American horror cinema. The reason why three movies aside, I am not doing that this week is because I I don't think there is a larger trend that this movie can be situated in, that it is reacting to, that it is engaging with. Yeah. And and I think that makes it fascinating and compelling. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, only really comparable to Halloween 3 Season of the Witch in the larger context of the franchise. 
But enough of that. Grace, is there anything you want to say about Halloween 2 before we jump into the spoiler zone, before we ask the three questions? Um, Nothing beyond, I think, what we've already outlined there. I think it's really, really good. It's a pretty searing evocation of trauma and the impact of trauma. And it really genuinely took me by surprise and how bluntly it, it tackles that and wears it on its sleeve. I think it does it very effectively. But we will dig into that more momentarily. All right. So, Joey, do you think Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 belongs on a list of the 100 greatest or 100 worst movies ever? Or 250, say. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I, we, we've been doing Halloween movies so long, I've forgotten the format of the show. Or the title of All the right. show. Is this yeah. in the top three <laughs> movies <laughs> ever made? <laughs> That's fair. We, we, there are only three. That's you love a list. You know me. I always talk in terms of horror. So if we want to talk like 250 best horror movies ever made, I think it probably is in there, just because it is so unique, so special, and it's hugely, hugely risky as well. Um, so I yes. think yeah, if we're talking in terms of horror, it's definitely up there. For me, anyway, it would be. And Grace, what about yourself? Do you think this belongs on either the top 250 or the bottom 100 movies? Oh, it can also um, exist on neither. It's not, it's not, it's not like a... <laughs> well, definitely not in the bottom. I think if we were ranking horror specifically, then yes, absolutely. But I suppose there's an argument to be made you should include it in an, you know, an ensemble, shall we say, of the top however many hundred movies of all time as well. Because as a representation of the genre, I think it's very, very good. It's unique. It's and it has something really important to say, which I think good horror should have. So, yeah, I could make an argument for, for that, I think. All right, Jay, I have queued you up. I've lined up the fastball here. <laughs> Do you think Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? You know, you know, I always struggle with this every second time I come on this podcast. <laughs> um, I don't know how many horror films there are on the 250, and I meant to look it up today. I completely forgot. And I'm hoping that it will just snap you with a seven or something and just tell me what's up. The Exorcist is probably the most conventional one, but yeah, there are there are yeah. movies that cross over like seven. I bet there's a bunch of elevated horror. N- not elevation. necessarily. Silence and yeah, Lambs. Silence and Lambs and Alien. Seven okay. are probably the ones that come closest. Shining. Jaws. Yeah. yeah, Jaws is on. All right. yeah. Jaws is sometimes off, isn't it? Is Jaws it on is on the moment. Jaws was part of the okay. great re- yeah. realignment. So kind of a proper amount of canon horror anyway, sir. Yeah. yeah. Um, this this does feel like, but a lot of lot of movies that horror fans would go, I don't know, if yeah. that's really horror. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. I've heard, I've heard those arguments. So I don't know why horror fans sound like that. I apologize to horror fans. <laughs> um, in that regard, like I, I, if, I think it, like, these things largely depend on how well you people treat horror, and I think horror is like sort of like comedies is kind of a uh, the the proverbial film slobs kind of a uh, kicking ball to a certain degree. That you know, their best versions that'll never get onto the lists of anything except for the ones that the important filmmakers make or whatever. Like, and a lot of that happens with particularly horror. Um, you'll only see if a Spielberg makes a horror or Spazzini makes a horror, or whatever Kubrick makes a horror, you'll see them get anointed. But if you're Rob Zombie or anything like that, you generally don't get near anything like it because you're just making low rent horror or low grade horror, whatever the kind of thing it is. Or even John Carpenter, yeah. like to take this or back. Or even John Carpenter, yeah. It's what, I mean, the th- the thing is on there, to be honest. I Carpenter made a, made a career of being proud about it as well, though. You know, he was like, fuck it. Like, Carpenter was very much as, uh, you know, he did he wore it in the sleeve in that regard, you know. I mean, isn't there that famous video of Carpenter, like being interviewed with David Cronenberg? And I don't know if it's David Lynch or it's Landis. But it's he basically, Landis. It's Landis. It Landis. And he calls yeah. the other two fucking sellouts. <laughs> 
Like he's, he's, he's not wrong. He's right? not wrong. And also, I love Carpenter's because he's he's the, probably the greatest interview in in film, to be honest. Um, yeah. But um, so in that regard, I like I I think this is a masterpiece, so I can absolutely make the argument for it. Um, I think it's if, like we'll get into it in more detail, but I think it's as it's as good of certainly in the twenty first century. It's as good a representative as of horror on what it can do and what it can be as I've seen. Um, only the only thing that comes closer in the twenty first century is maybe martyrs. I was I was waiting for martyrs to go. Yeah, up, yeah. they're 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 kind of my two kind of. Uh, this is I put it up there, which is no faint praise to be honest. Um, so yeah, I could I could see the argument for sure. All right, and Andrew, keep in mind, like we we know how you feel about Rob Zombie's Halloween. Right. Do you think that Rob Zombie's Halloween Two belongs on the list of either the two hundred fifty greatest movies ever made or the worst one hundred movies ever made? Um, it doesn't belong on the bottom 100 because it's, it's, it's quite well made. Like, and it's very effective in what it's doing. Um, I think maybe I'm just like little lily livered because I, 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 like, I don't feel like <laughs> on the list of the 250 greatest movies that you are, maybe, maybe the 250 greatest horror movies because you did in that movie, in that list of the 250 greatest horrors, you would have movies like just as scuzzy and nasty as this. And that's the kind of, you know, normal for the genre. But like, I, 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 I could like the, the, the answer to the other question would be fairly straightforward. Yeah. Uh, but, but I like, I, um, it's, it's, it, it's, it's so kind of, to my mind anyway, like on, Pleasant, redeemed. I guess in terms of like the that they're like I don't I I just didn't know how to feel about this because it like like I get the idea about it being about trauma, but like the for me when I see trauma in a movie, it's like compelling because it's happening to people that I care about, you know. Versus like I feel like in the zombie movies, everyone is terrible, and like the you know this is only what we can expect um and and it's it's just like life is shit <laughs> and like this is a depiction this is a documentary <laughs> i i would um, I'm very dialectic i would push I yeah would, okay. it feels like that but 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 maybe i'm i'm kind of missing something but yeah like i said i i, I just i i i I guess maybe it's on a a, a a horror list, but I wouldn't be fit to make that because I I, I think like it it just like puts puts me off entirely like the 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 whole. But I, I'm I'm interested to kind of I, I guess learn about why I'm wrong. <laughs> well, can I just want to push back against that just a little bit? I do think first of all, I think there are decent people here. I think obviously no. No, I, okay, I, I okay. think maybe maybe, uh, maybe uh, the take that chair, Lee Brackett. Yeah. I, no, I think what about Brad? I, I think even maybe like the two leads, like the two female leads. I mean, yeah. who hurt you, Andrew? <laughs> yeah. No, Larry, 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 Larry like Strode, the, the cute in, guy in, in the werewolf in, mask who gets stabbed for no reason when he was just trying to hook up with a girl in a van. Who sounds like what Michael did he ever do to anyone? <laughs> He's he seems fine. Bracket seems fine. <laughs> fine. Laurie Strode is not a sympathetic character. I'm she sorry. definitely well, is. 
Neither, neither, neither in this nor in Halloween. She definitely is. If you're a woman, yeah, yeah this is who's faced just living as a woman. She definitely is. No, but they, it's not enough for her to be a woman. As a woman watching, it is. Says the man. <laughs> well, well, well. Then I guess it doesn't matter what other qualities she has. My point is that if you're a woman who's dealt with any kind of trauma, do you know what I mean? That depiction of her character will immediately speak to you. Yeah, I'd agree. That's my point. I also, I also think that like our ability to extend empathy doesn't limit itself to people who are likable in inverted commas. Like I, I think, and this, okay. and that's come up. I mean, that came up even with Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial, where she wasn't the perfect kind of victim, and even women were turning on her. Yep. Yep. So that's yeah another point. Like yeah, Laurie, she acts like an absolute asshole. Don't get me wrong, but that doesn't mean she's not worthy of our sympathy. Yeah, but I mean, it's that perfectly was... understandable why she's being yeah. the way that she is. Like it's a it, like it's a deliberate choice. Yeah, her no, position, her sorry, difficulty from... in recovering. She's frustrated that she can't just get better. I mean, the the, the scenes with the therapist, like you see all of that come oh, out, God, yeah. where she's just like. I'm so sick of this and I know I'm taking it out on Annie and it's not Annie's fault, but she's just this constant reminder of what I've been through. Yeah. And like, obviously... Oh my God, that broke my heart on rewatch. Like, yes. it hit me the first time, but today I was like in agony yeah. watching that part. It was awful. Sorry, that 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 premise is that she is that way because of what has happened to her. But we see her in the first Halloween movie and she's unlikable. I, I don't think she's... Like, it's, it's okay. okay. It's okay having she, unlike. She's not unlikable. It's okay having unlikable characters. But like, if 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 what the character is trying to do is like to 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 make and and I understand that it 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 hit me differently than 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 it affected other people and that and and that is fine. But I didn't um uh, like I I I I I felt so much for Laurie Strode's because there there the uh, of you know the her um her character as as in 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 the original halloween movie Jamie Lee Curtis yeah the Jamie Lee Curtis uh Laurie Strode and in h in h2o that was so kind of like i was just rooting for her the entire time and worried for her but in 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 this there's just so many people in the movie who are just like uh like fuck, 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 fuck you, shit, fuck, fuck, fuck this, fuck this, I, uh, uh, fuck everything, you, you fucking die, you fucking bitch, fuck off. I, and, I thought that was very interesting though, because I, that the whole thing, the whole uh, town is poisoned. Yeah, everyone it just seems like angry and fucking quiet, like like, but that 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 works thematically so well though. It does. Um, I think. I think so too. And it's to the film's strength to do that because I think it's a it's a risky thing to do in a film, and I can understand why people would rip would kind of be a kid that wants to get away from it. I think that's a huge part of why a lot of people but, don't like it. But they're obnoxious. Because it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah, there's like a poison has leached into the groundwater and infected yeah. them all. Yeah, essentially that. But even even like the cinematography, it suggests that all the colour has been so grainy from her oh, life. It's a 16, mil, 16 millimeter grainy yeah. washed out. Yeah. Life is gone. It looks, like, yeah, it looks horrible. Time. It just looks like there's no colour, there's no hope. And you like but, this. <laughs> this is kind of the thing that, that, yes, that I... Yes, because thematically and stylistically, yeah. it reflects I, the story he's trying I to do, tell. Andrew, you probably need to watch a lot more horror <laughs> That films. is probably it, Jason. Like, the, this isn't like a... Comparatively, like, this is... Look, some people watch horror because they, you know, it, it's fun and it's entertaining. And 
I think a lot of people forget, especially casual horror fans, that horror is kind of supposed to make you uncomfortable. I'm not a casual horror fan, though. I'm not a horror fan. <laughs> I like movies and occasionally <laughs> those movies casual. are ours. You're the, you're the Michael you Nolan of horror films. <laughs> I feel like you're kind of proving her point here, though, by saying that you, you don't <laughs> you don't speak the language here. So you're perhaps uh, not getting what it's trying to what, convey. Well, I, I don't even know that it's that like. OK, se- several things to talk about there. I want to talk about cinematography separately. Mm. Um, just to Andrew's point about like these people, well, I, I think it's a very well made movie. It's just that like I I I kind of hate but, it. Okay, but to the point of like all of these people being not all these people. I don't agree. All these people are terrible people. I think some of these people are terrible people. I think many of these people are like unpleasant human beings. I think what I really respond to in the movie personally is the idea that like zombie comes back to of repeatedly showing you people who are not great people who are flawed and unpleasant and uncomfortable people you wouldn't want to sit beside people you wouldn't want to talk to people saying things that are disgusting and unpleasant those morgue drivers yes that's that's it that's the prime example of it yeah and i think of that scene and i think of like how that scene ends and it's a slight spoiler but somebody dies in a halloween movie that sequence where you just keep close on richard brake's face as he's dying as he's realizing that he's dying, as he's realizing that he's lived his last moments on these earth, and the camera holds that really long shot that makes you incredibly uncomfortable as a viewer. And for me, for me personally, and I'm not, I obviously it didn't work for you, but it, it underscores to me the idea that this is still a person. This is still a living person who has a life. Who has like a point of view, who has feelings and lives and rights, to quote that awful like Russian propaganda movie that we watched. But the idea that like But like zombies sir, it's only terrible because he's still alive. <laughs> like as soon as soon as that character is dead, they'll be fine. But the the before they were killed, they were having a horrible time anyway. Or they were a horrible person. They were just like in a horrible world. Can 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 I can I shock you? Yeah, I laughed at the joke in the van. I'm sorry. I just like, like, <laughs> I'm sorry. I did like I, I had forgotten about it from the first time. It's like it's like the punchline is like, oh Jesus Christ, but I did laugh. I'm sorry. I'm calling the police, Jay. <laughs> yeah. They're they're coming to your room. Insert, you insert the Celine Dion should telephone. I love the here. Cancel me if you want. I, I've had it coming, but I I did laugh. But I like throughout the movie, like Zombie does that, where he holds on the suffering of these people as they die in a way that horror movies don't normally do. You get to see a lot of characters in oh, definitely in these movies take their last breath, the the last life twitch from them, and you are constantly reminded that inside this sack of meat, inside this like body which is gooey and leaking and unpleasant and gory and disgusting, was. A person, and 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 we, like again, we, zombie we is a vegan. It, we he- give we give zombies so, so much credit for luxuriating in that uh, violence, and we don't think it's exploitative or. No, we do. He's just, he's a, he's a it, well, spider might be depending on how you look at it, but he's certainly a he's a he's probably a, sorry, maybe not the wrong word, but he's a visceral horror yeah. filmmaker. I mean, yeah. what do you watch horror for? And the, the answer to that, I guess, is like. It's it to me. This comes back to a almost like a, a Wolf of Wall Street argument. It's like you know, look at you look at your audience. Say, what, what are, are you watching? watching here? What do you right. want? What 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 thrills you? What what do you want from film? And what do you want from cinema? 
And a lot of it with horror films is people want to see people die in absolutely appallingly awful ways. Uh, I've seen like probably 100,000 people die in films at this stage and I'm not bored yet. Um, and like I expect to see more and many more. But I think what Zombie does here, and Darren, Darren kind of alluded to it there, it's like he, he puts you at, in close quarters in, in, in certain almost quasi-profound moments of kind of loss and grace in it. And that's 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 unusual enough in a horror film. Yeah, in horror cinema. yeah, no. I think the the one in the movie that really struck struck me in that way, although I think he does it repeatedly, is the yeah. nurse in the hospital. She, that's pretty. Yeah, he doesn't realize almost what's happened, and then and then you yeah. you yeah. stay on. Yeah, there was a number of those, and I thought those were done really well. And I'm I'm not like you know the, 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 I I I I thought it was not just that there was a few occasions where it was dealt uh, with really well and I think he does get across like the devastation of of um and the hard yeah. watches yeah. like the hard scenes like there's no getting away from that. If, if I'd be a horror veteran and it's so that makes me wince and yeah. and just on rewatch uh you know but they are they're exhausting movies in the way that like Halloween 4 Halloween 5 and Halloween yeah. 6 are not exhausting watches as boring as No no are. they're boring yeah. yeah yeah um i i wanted like just to the point of like are we giving rob zombie too much credit how much of this is intentional um are we painting a flattering light of not an like, exploitation like that we can we can give credit for being like visceral and gory and that but we say like oh Actually, you know, no, I'd like. I, I suppose I'd give him that credit too because I agree with Grace's point on this treatment. Anyway, sorry. To, to zombie quoted in Scream magazine, uh, saying, "There is this phrase I hate, where people discuss how the kills are in a movie, and kills it is in square in scare quotes. Uh, for listeners who can't see, Darren do scare quotes. <laughs> if someone gets killed in a movie, you talk about it like it's an entertaining moment to watch. I wanted it to be like." You mean the scene where somebody gets murdered, not killed. It isn't a video game. I wanted to make the scenes where somebody gets murdered horrible to watch. I, it is. I think it is intentional, and I think I think it. it yeah. Yeah, and I think it oh, works in so. that way. Where like again, again, this is a this is a question of what you want from slasher movies, and I worry I sound overly moralistic when I say things like this. But I like horror movies to make me feel uncomfortable. I like horror movies that make, as Jay said, ask me, what do I want from this as a viewer? Like, am I titillated by the naked breasts on display to get to the obligatory Halloween boob watch we've been doing? But this is exactly it. That's a, you, you pinpointed exactly there. And like, like that we've done like a kind of hashtag tits at every 1970s Italian exploitation horror you're watching your life. They're literally, but like, we still watch because, you know, it, it's that sex death weird kind of area that horror kind of sneaks in that makes people kind of voyeuristic and interested and titillated and frightened because they're all that kind of similar kind of area in the brain that kind of gets worried as to mm. why, how much you're enjoying this, which I certainly get occasionally watching films like, it's like Jesus, Jake, this, mm. is, this is a bit much even for you. I feel like if you're the, talking to Zombie, though, and maybe, sorry, I shouldn't assume but I don't feel like he's having the same conversation about people always talk about the nudity <laughs> in horror movies. And and I asked him, yeah, but was it really great nudity? Like, did, did, Why does he talk I, like a 40s like, studio he, mogul, Andrew? Why no, does it sound like he has like, a cigarette like, and a cigar yeah. in hand? I, I get... I great movies, great movies. Over here. 
<laughs> great, great note, Eddie. No, I, I get the sense he's not trying to kind of like do anything groundbreaking with with with, with his nudity in movies. That he's just like people want to see that, so we'll put it in. I don't know. Well, he was. It doesn't feel like transgressive. Next to twenty million at the box office. Well, he was forced to in the first movie. Was he forced to in this movie? He there's no nudity in this movie. When she dies, you don't. There's loads you don't of see nudity. Anything. You do. You, you do. There's, see there's, about, there's a, in the strip if club. You're talking there's about a that, sequence yeah. in the strip club. Oh, sorry, the strip club. Yes, yeah, sorry, I was thinking of um, but, Danielle Harris. Yeah, there's, but, there's also a concert. But that that strip that strip club sequence again feels like it is no uncomfortable there, and there, deliberately yeah. so. But that that's the only sequence to me actually that sticks out and doesn't land. That like that part feels gratuitous to me. None of the rest okay. of it does. There there's nudity in the concert as well. There are there are the ladies on stage. Like, there are the ladies on stage. Yeah. It's like and every every one of those clubs has that. And you yeah. just haven't been out enough. Like, come on. Well, no, I, that, but I genuinely just I just recognize that as yeah. part of that scene. That that's what you yeah. would expect to see if you were yeah, at that precisely. kind of show. So and that's no, no feels, one's being I mean, brutalized I mean, in that moment. No, not at all. Yeah. No, no, I'm yeah. not saying anyone's being brutalized. I'm saying like it's just putting it into titillate people. It's 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 very like there's no. But I uh, think the the argument a lot of people would make is that scenes like that are put in in a very violent way to yeah. like sexualize the violence. Yeah. Yes, that specific scene at the concert. There's nothing violent about it. That's just that's just spectacle. yeah. It's just ladies dancing. Like I think there's a different. I think right. like. Zombies, if again, my point was that there's nothing more clever being done there in 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 those in in that scene, like in the concerts. That's just kind of like you. Okay, you don't. Like, sorry, I feel like this is the four of us ganging up on Andrew, and I apologize for this. But but you you can't go after me for every <laughs> single point. Like, <laughs> it, 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 I I I'll 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 accept that, that like like you know I, that I, I'll be oh. wrong, wrong about certain things. And that I don't have the context, as as Jay says, of 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 of, of some of the. But specifically the nudity, right? That that sequence for me is contrasted with the sequence with the stripper, um, and the idea is the sequence with the stripper is also nudity, and it's presented in, as Grace said, a violent way, like the. And again, this is the thing with the issue of the question of like violence in these movies and how sexualized it is. We talked about this with Bernice, where there is this sense of like the knife as a penetrating object, as a sexual surrogate. And the idea of is the viewer sexually aroused by the violence as much as they are by the sexual object. And, you know, again, you can say maybe Zombie isn't doing this cleverly or consciously or whatever. Maybe he isn't sitting down and doesn't have a master plan. But I think there is a difference between you're in a not a kink culture because it's not actually a kink culture but you're in an environment where that nudity is not uncomfortable or not unusual where it's celebrated and accepted when you're on stage at one of these gigs and that is fine there is a difference between that and the sequence of a big muscly hulking man with a knife brutalizing a woman who has her breasts exposed i i maybe he's not making the point consciously but i think you can make that differentiation within the movie Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Um, to my point, I don't know. I don't think this belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies. I certainly don't think it belongs in the bottom 100. It is my second favorite of the Halloween movies starring Michael Myers. So it is behind Carpenter's original, and it's behind Halloween 3. I think it's great. And we should also point out that I think previous guest Kira Maloney took a point during her 
should this movie be on the 250 to go, the only two movies that should be on here are John Carpenter's Halloween and Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. So I'll give that proxy vote to previous guest Kira Maloney. <laughs> All right. Um, and then, Joey, would this be on your own personal 250, your own 250 favorite movies? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's mostly horror on there anyway, as we know. <laughs> how, how does this rank in terms of... So you, you think this isn't quite at the top of Zombie's filmography. How does it rank for you in terms of the Halloween movies? Near the top, definitely. Um, I mean, obviously, we know by now I love the modern trilogy and I love uh, Carpenter's original, obviously. So probably maybe immediately after those, I think I know a lot of people have been reappraising H2O lately and I think H2O is fine. But I think this even does what H2O is trying to do better. I think its representation of trauma is better than H2O and I think it's more authentic as well. Um, And also, when we discussed Halloween 3, I was the only one who didn't like it and I didn't throw a fit <laughs> okay okay hold on it's okay I'm, I'm wanting to kind of like hear what 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 what, what people like I, about I, it you know and I, I i i actually did like this movie like more than, than rob zombies um, Halloween. I, well yeah yeah i i i, I there there is there there's a, a a lot of nice things to say about this movie it's just that it's not to my taste and these things, these these things are subjective. But, um, oh yeah, yeah. Far from the only one, Andrew. By the way, like they like, like I yeah. mean, you're, you're, oh, it's it it is still hated. It is still hated by a huge amount of the horror community as well. Um, yeah. yeah, which is so disappointing. Mm-hmm. But probably hey. the the sections that don't like turning a mirror onto themselves for all of the things we just talked about. Well, it's it's. I think it's that, and I think it's also the hive mind. I think, unfortunately, with horror, I mean, yeah. also it's a boys' club, so that's all, always yeah, going to yeah. be an issue. Huge part of it. huge part of it. But well, that's yeah, that's my problem. <laughs> I, I didn't like the way it turned the mirror on me, and also it's a boys' <laughs> club. So. Um, uh, but like yeah. as, I've, as I've talked about before, I think I've already talked about it on the Rob Zombie episode as well. I don't understand, and I still I'll stand by this. I don't understand why Rob Zombie is held in such low regard and someone like Eli Roth is held in such high regard because the problems that Andrew has with this particular movie are all problems that are actually exist yeah. in his movies. If we look yeah. at like if we look at Hostel 2 with that I, fucking is Elizabeth Bathory sequence which yeah. by the way which is what I think of yeah that was like I found out recently that poor actor she wasn't even secured she was only secured by her feet and she could have fallen at any time and broken her neck and been killed. There's a huge difference between a scene like that and the scene where, spoiler, dies in Halloween 2, which is just so devastating. Yeah. And yes, yeah. it absolutely makes you uncomfortable, don't get me wrong, It's and it's supposed to. But So from that perspective, it's always bothered me that people denigrate Rob Zombie like this because sexual violence isn't really a part of his over either, which I think we talked about with Rob Zombie's Halloween 1, with that weird rape scene that feels completely out of place. And I agree with Grace. I think the scene with the stripper does kind of feel a bit out of place, whether he was forced to put it in or whether, I don't know, he just thought it would be provocative. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's why I've always been drawn to defend him because I think a lot of these criticisms should be lobbed at other people, yeah. other men yeah, specifically. 100%. Yeah, like, fortunately, I'm, I'm never going to watch the Hostel movie. Yeah, and you're right. <laughs> Unless I, I like don't know. Don't, don't, well, don't you do say it, that. I'm sure I would hate them. You say no, that. Don't, don't, don't do you're not. Darren. You're not missing anything. No, you're not. no but you're definitely like, not. I, I, I think I, I think I would like those movies even even you less. You definitely would. Like I, 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 I liked a lot about this movie, and I, I, I think like 
like some of the points that people have made already i think it's 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 treatment uh, um occasionally with 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 certain deaths maybe 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 i have a problem in terms of um there were certain characters that i sympathize with and certain characters that i didn't yes. i made it maybe that my sympathy just needs to be a bit broader um because there were there were there were certainly moments that were very effective to me where others weren't and the, but overall it, it it like it it yeah, it wasn't a pleasant experience for me, but also I don't think it was meant to be. But that's you know that's the thing, and um, I think and I think it is it is valid to say this is not the kind of movie that I find entertaining. Sure, like I don't think this is a lot of movie a, a people. Or sorry, I don't think this is a movie that a lot of people would put on for fun. You know what I mean? To like lay back and have a relaxing night. I don't think it's that. Well, I'm probably never going to yeah. watch this movie and again. It's a tough watch, but again, it's supposed to be. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It sets out to be unflinching. Exactly. And again, but if you watch it and you're like, I don't like that, that's perfectly valid. You know what I mean? That's valid. Yeah. That that for for me, it's something that maybe I can more admire than enjoy. Mm. I guess. And 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 to be clear, like, it's, but yeah, maybe, maybe that's just something I have wrong uh, a problem with a lot of the genre. Anyway, sorry, sorry. This is not about me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I actually, like, again, editing past episodes, I think when we do have disagreements, it is interesting and constructive. We are not yelling at each other and we're not mm. telling each other we're idiots. I think <laughs> it is good to have dissenting opinions here. Uh, I am 100% right in everything I said about Mustang. But um, <laughs> not, to, not to realize that that debate. Um, Grace, would this be on your own personal 250 favorite movies? I, I could make an argument for it. I mean, this is funny. Every time I'm on this podcast, you ask me this, and I'm like, God, how could I pick 250 movies? It's really difficult. I'm the but same. I do, <laughs> um, I do, like, this one really, really struck me. Like, I was not expecting it to hit home as hard as it did when I watched it for the first time. And I think especially when we get to that, like, I don't know if this is a spoiler, the, the little kind of fake outfit in the hospital. Um, that I remember just being so taken with and being like, I am on board, like, immediately. Um, so, I don't know, it's, it definitely had an impact on me that a lot of films do not have. The vast majority of films I watch do not have, so there probably is an argument for it to be included there, yeah. How would you rank it in terms of the Halloween movies? Um, Of the ones I've seen, because I haven't seen them all, Ish would be up there for me, I think, with the original and with H2O, which I just have a very large soft spot for. And Jay, would this be on your own personal 250 movies? We're exiling you to Bad Movie Peninsula which is just off the coast of Bad Movie Island. <laughs> You're taking 250 movies with you. Is Halloween to Rob Zombie's version coming with you? I think Wait, it is. Wait, if you had to uh, supposed to take shit movies to Bad Movie Peninsula. Oh, good point. <laughs> it's good movie. It's good movie Peninsula. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I think it is. I think it would make my list, actually. Um, and I'd go a little further, and I, I've said this before, I think it's the best Halloween film. Yes. Um, you, you've been provocative, I'd, Jay. I'd, no, I'd, I'd like... Listen, I love the Carton of Film. However, I think what happens with some films, and I don't know if this is a particular horror, horror thing, I, I think it happens with comedies quite a bit as well. I think it, it the impact of it has dulled over the years. So I've watched it so many times and stuff. At that, I, as much as I admire it still and, and love to watch it, I don't find it nearly as effective as it did 20 years ago. Whereas I suspect in 20 years' time, I'm still crapping at watching Zombies film, um, to be honest. So I think, I think it's... I think it's the only one that certainly, even with the arguments of what's better or otherwise, it's the only one that comes close to matching it. And I mean matching it, not copying it. Mm. Matching it in terms of taking something and doing something with it. 
uh, I suppose just endlessly wrote sequels of you know blah blah usual kind of stuff and I think for that alone it deserves a, a lot of uh, good attention and yeah I think it would be on my top 250 list actually all right um, I just want to say to that, like, I mean, Zombie himself has been, like, a key, like I, again, Zombie is a fascinating interview subject because he does not seem to have any sort of filter whatsoever. Um, and when he's asked about, like, how does he feel about fans reacting to his movie and sort of reacting against them and the fact that they're divisive and the fact that he ruined, the argument that he ruined the Halloween franchise, I love that he just comes out and say, oh, come on. what? Yeah. Come on, this is ridiculous. It but is. He, but he, even, even like as somebody who didn't warm to these movies, the idea that you could ruin the Halloween <laughs> after all of the movies that yeah. have come before it. You just cut to like, like... You have sullied the good, the good name, name of Halloween. The reputation the, is in sorry. the bin. Cut to John Carpenter when he's asked like about people making new Halloween movies and he's like, I don't give a like, S, basically. Give, give me a check <laughs> exactly. and do your worst. <laughs> like... Yeah, at least like at least he's doing something interesting, like something new. It's not just a cash grab. Like it feels well, like. Well, also he's some... making it his own and telling a story exactly. that obviously feels very dear and particular to him, rather than just rehashing the same like four beats over and over again and just sharpening out essentially. Oh, he, like here here is the precise quote from Rob Zombie. Apologies, I had to go to the fact machine um to check it. <laughs> When asked about, like, accusations from fans that his movies are sacrilege, he replies, I don't think it's sacrilege. I think what is sacrilege is all of the shitty sequels. I mean, is that what everyone enjoyed? Is that what they want more of? Um, which is kind of, I kind of admire the, like, just the going for itness of that response, where it's like, really? <laughs> You're coming at me yeah. in this franchise? I've seen The Revenge of Michael Myers. But he's, he's not wrong! Yeah. But he's not wrong! Yeah. Also, the the use of the word sacrilege, like... I lo- I what love what the are way... you deifying this franchise for when, as he says, there's plenty of effluence in there? Like, it's not, you know, solid gold. I, I love the way he's, he's, he's kind of like... No, it's not the thing I made was bad. It's the thing that yeah. you like. Is bad. <laughs> <laughs> the issue isn't my movie; it's your taste. You're the idiot, not me. Sorry, sorry. You're you're just wrong. You're just yeah. <laughs> you just have bad. Is taste. that what you want more? <laughs> yeah, just more, more of this crap. No more um, shit. Is that what you want? Like, I I don't have time to tell you how wrong you are, but you know what? It's gonna annoy me if I don't. Hang on a second. I got into the future. <laughs> I have to go into the future. Talk to somebody called David Gordon. Green. Oh, okay. The, the Jay. Three words I should strike fear into the heart of any good horror film watcher. Jay. Sorry. Jesus. Easy. We do not have time. He's not, we do not have time. He's not wrong. He makes Rick Rosenthal look like Steven Spielberg. We're not even through the three questions. <laughs> Darren's anyway, trying to keep sorry, it on I'm track. So, sorry, Darren. Go on, Darren. Apologies. I'm putting a red light to the green talk. Sorry. Red light, green talk. Well, they. This was the hot ticket. Yeah, it was. Apparently. This, so, yeah. Like, this is the one that it was is, always going to generate <laughs> um, babbling a discussion. This is the one that is probably going <laughs> to run three and a half hours, oh, despite Christ. being one that we doubled up on recording because Darren's an idiot. Go on. Um, okay, um, Andrew, would it be on your own <laughs> personal oh, too? As we as we podcast, Lisa, yes. As we as we podcast into tomorrow. Um, <laughs> I uh, no no I, I I wouldn't put it on on Good Movie Island. I think I think it's uh, this it is an improvement on the um, uh, Rob Zombie um, Halloween. Is the Rob Zombie Halloween your least favorite of like the ten that we have covered so far? 
No, no. Okay. I, I'd say I, I don't like four. four. I don't <laughs> like two. I like five and six more than four. I probably like this more than two, four, five, and six. Okay. And I'd put uh, Halloween, uh, Season of the Witch, and H2O ahead of the zombie ones. Okay. All right, so it's it's not as bad as I thought it would be. So they they they're they're the, like like the meat and the sandwich, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> the heart where, of the, the franchise. <laughs> where it's like I'm I'm hoping that I've that I'm not hungry. Because <laughs> I really don't want to have to eat that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but um, no, like 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 I I think um, for all that I don't warm to the the character. Uh, I I think Scout. Taylor Compton is better here. I I, I think the, 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 as 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 as, as an actor, I think it, it, it and as and as Laurie, I think it, it's a better performance. I, I I think there's a lot of people doing a uh, good work. I I suppose maybe maybe um like I I actually did feel for yeah. Marco Kidder as the uh, uh, as mm. the therapist and and I I I I I, I I, I guess that's not where my kind of sympathies maybe ought to have been in that scene. Um, I don't know. Like, uh, I, I feel like the casting of Margot Kidder in that scene is very deliberate. First of all, because obviously she's one of the first final girls. She's one of the, she was in Black Christmas. So she's like, it's an in-joke in terms of like horror franchise stuff. But it also feels like it's an allusion to Kidder's much publicized issues uh, with manic depression where she had a very public episode in the late 90s um, that was treated shamefully, like most of those episodes are, treated shamefully by the press. She was turned into a public spectacle um, and treated as a freak. And kind of, again, her career suffered as a result of it. And she was marginalized and kind of treated as an oddity. I think the casting of Kidder in that role is very deliberate. Yeah. And I think it's deliberate beyond just oh, it's a character, it's an actor you recognize from a movie mm. like yeah. this. It's yeah. this is an actor who has real life background material that we are hoping that you will bring into the context of this conversation. Yeah, but I yeah I I suppose like the the uh, avoiding the question um, a little bit, but to 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 say yes, of course, it's not on my uh, two hundred fifty uh, greatest movie list. If I, if I like like and 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 I think I think there were there were there were other things that I just didn't like. I I like a Ramstein music video as much as the the, <laughs> the next person, but which there, is there, not there, really there, that there, much, I'm guessing. Uh, uh, speak for yourself. <laughs> it is it is a very new metal movie. Well, it's a very zombie movie. It is sure Listen, sure and pick a yeah. generation like. And, and, I'm not sure new metal is the, is the right genre, but yes. Well, there's. A, I, hey, I don't consider that and an I, insult. I don't consider it an insult either. I'm just saying it's not the metal subgenre. No, no, so, no, no, no. Why? What would you go for? <laughs> oh, where, which metal genre are you going? I'm, I'm going for more industrial. Yeah, especially if I you're going to make a Rammstein reference. Listen, I gotta go. I it's l- not frenetic enough to be new metal. <laughs> they had they had the moody blues, night and white nights and white satin. That's all I needed in life. Do you know what I mean? we will talk about the sound like I I have like a list of things that involve like cinematography and soundtrack I want to get to when we get to the other side of the spoilers an hour in god help you editing this Darren this is my fault Uh, we're more than an hour in but I think the the fact that we have five guests but mostly I think it's my fault (laughs) I could have just said 
Yeah, yeah, I like this. <laughs> I love it. No, no, like, <laughs> I, I, love I, like, it. I like that we're I like that we're having this discussion. Um, Andrew, did you have something else you wanted to say? Because you were like, I have a list of things I didn't like about the movie, and I you kind of turned like a page, and it feels like we we got as far as heavy metal Ramstein video. That was the first point. Uh, I didn't like the fake out. Oh, oh okay. I thought it was yeah, you're okay. beyond saving save, that. Save, I, I, I mean, beyond saving I, save, I, save that I, until we get to the spoiler yes. zone. I, I liked, I liked those scenes, but I didn't like that okay. it was a fake. Okay, out. okay. We will, we will get to the. We'll talk yeah. about that specifically. Yeah. Okay. Okay, we're gonna move off then. To... But uh, like, like, yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry, Andrew. But it, I, I, I think that the the movie kind of. I feel like it, there there's a line in it is kind of like bad bad taste is the fuel of the um, American dream of the American dream yeah which is it's kind of like it's not you know that that it 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 feels like it's comfortable I suppose in 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 what it is I don't think it's saying like and it's, and, and sorry I, I I don't mean bad taste in the kind of a pejorative sense i mean in in terms of kind of like owning bad taste um if that makes sense nobody went broke ever uh, underestimating I, the taste of the american public <laughs> yeah but it, it, yeah i i i th- think this bad kind taste of, is business i think he says at one point yeah business business my yeah. business woman um but like but yeah but i i i think it's a kind of like a subversive sort of bad taste where it's like trauma or, or or like other kind of stuff in the horror genre i guess i i that is a loomis quote and i i think the movie is doing something very deliberate with loomis mm. um mm-hmm. that has been kind of parachuted into the movie because they didn't realize they had malcolm mcdowell but it it's i think the movie's use of mcdowell is very clever and its use of loomis is very clever and is does point to that self-awareness. A lot of this feels like a little bit like a different movie, though. Does it? It does a bit, but it also connects back to like we ha- the argument that you and I kind of seem to be having. Um, you and me specifically was the question of how much do we credit um, Zombie with being aware of deconstruction? Like, how much are we giving him too much credit for it? And I think the Loomis stuff is the stuff that I go, okay, he knows what he's doing. Mm. Like the right. the Loomis stuff feels like it's he's he's commenting specifically on what it is like to make a Halloween movie for the Weinsteins to a certain extent, or why what he's doing is kind of creepy and gross and disgusting and why you should feel uncomfortable with it. Fuck it. Okay, let's... Loomis looks like Carpenter. It's very pointed. Loomis has shaved his beard. (laughs) He's got a crop of white hair. He's got a big, bushy white mustache. He is styled like John Carpenter in this movie. I think that is an intentional choice. I think it is being used as a... it's Brackett who is smoking the joint. It is (laughs) Brackett who is smoking the joint, to be fair. Um, And Brackett has the longer grey hair. So you combine the two of them and you average out to Carpenter. But I I do think the use of Loomis is like, this is... it's. It's what it's like making a horror. Mm. Loomis is Loomis is doing this exploitative thing that I'm kind of wondering, am I doing? But anyway, for myself, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Halloween, Halloween 3 would be on my 250. Halloween 2, Rob Zombie's version, is my third favorite Halloween movie. It is on the bubble. Yeah. On a good day, it gets in. On a bad day, it doesn't. All right. Final question. Lightning round. <laughs> Joey, <laughs> if listeners have not seen Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? And do you have a preference between the theatrical and director's cuts? Um. Oh God. 
Well, the director's cut has a moment that's considered, to use the word again, sacrilege, right at the end. But that is the cut that I have, so it's usually the cut that I watch. Um, I would suggest that people watch it, although be advised, as we've already discussed, like it is a tough watch. It's not a fun Friday night movie. It's something you should probably watch in the middle of the afternoon and have something fun lined up afterwards, just as a palate cleanser. But yeah, I mean, I think everyone should watch this. I think it's been unfairly maligned for way too long especially by horror fans, and it, it deserves to be reappraised. Joey, I, I, I appreciate your line up something fun afterwards. What I recommend is just staring into space and playing Knights in White Satin <laughs> as you contemplate the futility of human existence. That works um, too. <laughs> Jay- I mean, I can, I can raise you that one. I watched this for the first time last year when I was staying in a cottage in Sligo by myself for several days. And after I finished it, I put on that Netflix documentary on the Woods Tuck 99 fiasco. Oh, nice. So if you need a palate cleanser, that's a go to. That's a good one. <laughs> You're just like, oh, this is worse. This is actually worse. Never mind. Come back, Michael. All is forgiven. Another great musician turned uh, director from New Metal. Uh, or sorry, I, I, Rob Zombie is a no, New Metal, Rob, but from, Rob, from that era. Rob Zombie's just um, metal. Uh, he was he was a bit too old. Yeah, exactly. He was a bit too old. But but, um, but Fred Fred Durst decidedly knew me. Oh, the God. fan, like yeah, you uh, argue uh, like the fan deserves to be in conversation. He's he's, he's the connecting yeah. thread. See, there I, I was listening to how like David Fincher like um, Fight Club. Yeah, I saw him as a sort of like a protege or something. <laughs> how in 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 is it in. The the music of Limp Biscuits in sorry I'm just like recycling stuff now from uh, I will remake this man in my own wait, image. Wait, Fincher um, saw Fred Durst as a protege. What did I pick this up from? Yeah, it's almost like this promising kind of young director and took him seriously and that. But the, the um, he's also he, he he his music features in a number of movies and his um, or in a number of yes, video games. This is the thing he where he has the rights. Yeah. Where, he has to be a character in the video game if they're going to use his his music. So the Fred Durst is a playable character in um in Fight yeah, Club. I, mean, I think this seems on brand for him. Oh man, I could beat the shit out of Fred Durst. No matter, like, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, but you but but you have to complete a whole lot of stuff in the game to unlock. Yeah, he's the boss character to beat him. Apparently, he's the ultimate unlockable. I mean, again, like I am just going to the fact machine to verify everything Andrew has just said. The headlines include. Fred Durst gets Fincher's advice on film projects. Fred Durst replaced by David Fincher on Lords of Dogtown project. Fred Durst rocked the Tribeca Film Festival with the help of his mentor, David Fincher. So yes, yes, there is a Fincher-Durst uh, connection. This is all coming... Fincher contains multitudes, doesn't it? This is all coming from Blank Check, by the way. I should give credit where um, it's due. All right, and Grace, if listeners have not watched... Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, which if they had started, they would almost be finished by now. Would you recommend <laughs> that they pause the podcast and stream it to a local device? And do you have a preference for the theatrical or director's um, So to your second point first, I don't actually know what version of it I have. You have um, the director's cut, I think. I, I have the director's cut? Okay, cool. Well, then I haven't seen the theatrical version, so I can only comment on the director's cut, which I do love. And yeah, I'll echo what Joey said. If you haven't seen it, then I do solidly recommend it, but... Be, you have to be in the right mindset. Like, don't watch this if you're feeling a bit fra- fragile or vulnerable. And as I said, I mean, I was fine watching it in the middle of nowhere by myself, but I did have some pretty heady entertainment lined up for after, even though I didn't realize it at the time. But if you do need a palate cleanser, then yes, I recommend Woodstock 99 because 
everyone in that is so savage and animalistic and terrible that it will make everyone in this scene like light and fuzzy. It's like spending an entire documentary with the Richard Brake character. Um, yes, actually. Jay, <laughs> um, if listeners have not already seen Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, would you recommend they stream it to a local device? And do you have a preference for either cut? I've never seen the theatrical. I've only seen the director's cut, which I've watched twice. And I heard bad things about the theatrical in comparative terms. So I don't know what people I've seen would advise whether to bother. Um, but certainly, I'd absolutely say watch the director's cut because it's great. And not mind all that, line up something good afterwards. Get the kids around, start a property, get them their film education, horror film education early. Get the 10 year olds out of the bed. Popcorn. Stick it on. Get yeah. it. Get it. Two liter bottle of Mountain Dew. I mean, like, w- watching watching really violent stuff when we were kids obviously did us no harm. So hundred percent. Get a Christmas Eve and send it to bed. Then for, for, uh, <laughs> well, Christmas Eve is next week. This is this is almost our Christmas yes. episode. Perfect. And yeah, perfect. so watch it next week. Do it. Uh, and and Andrew, we should we should disclose that before this began, I did literally grab your hand and force into it a copy of the director's cut of Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 because I wanted to make sure you did not watch the theatrical cut. <laughs> yeah. With that in mind, would you recommend right. that listeners watch Rob Zombie's Halloween 2? And did you watch both cuts for a comparison? So, I I don't want to dissuade anyone who will enjoy this movie from watching it, but I also want credit <laughs> for dissuading people who won't enjoy this movie from watching it. So, in a difficult position... I don't know. I'd, I, I'd recommend people watch it, you know, make up your own mind. I, it's not a bad movie. It's, it's, it, it's just one that I didn't kind of like care for. And I think it's important to, I, if you are even in my camp to, I guess, challenge yourself with, with, with these kinds of movies. Yeah. So yeah, I'd, 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 I'd give it a fairly, um, partially qualified recommendation i was going to say unqualified <laughs> but i i i feel like yeah that, that that i i think if you're i think if you're listening to a podcast about rob zombies <laughs> you are too, probably, you're probably on board. watch it <laughs> yeah yeah exactly i don't know i announced our schedule for the next couple of months yesterday on twitter and a lot of people said that's a hell of a december we have lined up with rob zombies halloween rob zombies halloween 2 and jj abrams rise of skywalker <laughs> um what what a month of movies that is going to be. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what for myself, um, I want to put my hand up here and just say, I am not a huge, like I'm not, I, I watch horror movies. I don't consider myself a huge horror buff. Jay you kind of are, in the sense that like you were exposed to horror movies at like a very young age. Yes. But I, I don't like extreme ones. Like, Jay mentioned Martyrs earlier right. on, right? And Martyrs is a movie I cannot bring myself to watch because I know the content of Martyrs. Yeah, um, it's full on. Same. It's enough for the fair, her, I, I read the Wikipedia plot synopsis and just went, no. Yeah, no. <laughs> so happened. good, though. Jay and, Jay and Ronan, who are two people whose opinions I respect greatly and I think are like two of our finest film critics or one of our finest film critics and a great guest on the podcast right now. Um but sorry, that you are actually both great film critics. But <laughs> I do in official retirement, Darren. But go on. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I could never ever is. I could never bring m- myself to watch Martyrs. Um, so I, I will say, yeah, this is full on. This is a lot. Uh, it is probably again triggering in terms of stress and trauma. Like it's, it's not a movie that is light and fun and easy to get through. Which is interesting because that's the thing with the talking about the Halloween franchise, where I think movies like 
H2O are hugely enjoyable, fun roller coaster movies. I think David Gordon Green's 2018 movie, and I know Jay and I know Grace will disagree with this, but I think that is an accessible popcorn movie that is great fun and very easy to watch. I think Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 is not. That said, if you are going to watch it, and I would recommend it if you feel up to it, watch the director's cut. It is a superior film. I think the theatrical cut is interesting. I think there's a lot of good stuff in there. But I think the director's cut is pure, unfiltered Rob Zombie. And if you are watching Rob Zombie's Halloween 2, you owe like you owe it to yourself to have pure, uncut Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. If you're only going to eat it once, you may as well get the full flavor on the menu. With that in mind, we will segue neatly into the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. So, Jay, having pitched this episode, what is Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 about for you? We should do sequels more often because that rhymes. See, this is where I, this, this is where, uh, I get annoyed because every half-arsed um, kind of horror film the last five years are, is about trauma. Right. And it, it, it's, it's cheapened the, the genre and the kind of writing genre so much that the word has lost any meaning or any kind of sense of what so to speak just because you have trauma in your film doesn't mean you're dealing with trauma in your film or even recognizing that's where it is somebody crying in a room is not trauma do you know what i mean it's like and the horror film directors that make these kind of films tend to just forget that so that said it's about trauma (laughs) (laughs) so it's 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 also about kind of the art of filmmaking and what what you put your audience through yeah it's also psychological terror of losing your family it's also a lavish tribute to twin peaks yeah uh, in lots of ways and the return i think borrows from it a little bit as well in a kind of reverse symbiotic relationship with lynch from twin peaks to twin peaks to return and even fire walk with me yes uh which is plenty in there from it uh, that would be inspired from it so i i wouldn't I don't think he's he's gone full lynching, but I certainly know that he's in that conversation. This is a, a very, very desperately sad and unsettling film that I find very difficult to watch, but I know I'll watch probably a few more times because I think it's it's very profound and very beautiful amidst absolute carnage. And I think it's very difficult to get that balance right in film. And then I didn't know about the production schedule and the fact that do that in nine months is nothing short of miraculous. Quite frankly, um, I don't know how any. I'm not sure any filmmaker could do that. Uh, I think that's an extraordinary achievement, in in and of itself. In anyway, but to do that in the short 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 space time, I think I think Joey mentioned. I think horror film fans just that don't like it just will not revisit up and not count this idea that could be good, and it's depressing because it just that's the one thing that annoys you of horror fans, uh, and so so. You know, people will do or won't do. But I think it, it's certainly worth a rewatch if you haven't seen it in a long time and you were kind of with the critical mass at the time. Um, it's great. It's really, really great and really, really hurts. I, I think you mentioned the idea of trauma. And again, that is something of a cliche when we talk about horror. Yeah, it is. Um, and it, it's typically, it's something that comes Re- up a lot. Reclaiming yeah. trauma as but well. The idea, yeah, and it, it's particularly very common when we talk about sequels. And I think... 
what I really like about Rob Zombie's Halloween 2 is that it it really feels like it's kind of deconstruction is is a word that is overused but it does feel like it's deconstructing the idea of the classic horror movie sequel where like this lit again like the original halloween 2 it opens in the immediate aftermath of the first halloween right there's that shot of laurie wandering down the road Mm. as sheriff brackett tries to find her and she's just but she's muttering to herself about how like she's muttering about the climax of the last film she's talking about like he was in the wall and and then i fell and I, i killed him i killed him and he's trying to shake her out of it but she's She's not coherent at all, yeah, as opposed to, so. say, like the Rick Rosenthal Halloween 2, which, you know, sure, you have Loomis running around saying, I shot him six she seems times! Quite serene very Sorry? quickly. The, the, in, the 2 is very odd in terms of, like, Laurie Strode's reaction. Yeah. Like, I don't know, is she being given something? But she seems very chill. Yeah. Like, she's just having a nice time. <laughs> Um, chatting to a boy <laughs> like you know but like um yeah like yeah but i mean even things like the way in which like they they load her into the ambulance and you see the footage of her being treated mm. in intense gruesome detail like the the fact that her in the operating room recovering from what has been done to her body is almost as graphic as anything Michael does to anybody over the course of the film, where you see them picking the glass out of her hand, which is something that you don't even think about with horror movies, where somebody smashes a window, and you're like, oh, that's just somebody smashing a window. It Mm. happens in every horror movie. And here it's like, no, smashing a window will mess up your body, and you will have to repair that. The bit where they're like peeling the skin off her her head and stitching it together. Sorry, Andrew. Yeah, no, it's just so unflinching. You so rarely see the cleanup as well. Yeah. And especially, I mean, as you say, not to this extent. You might see a little bit, but the fact that you're right, it's so intricate and it's like every little bit, it's really showcasing how much she's been through physically. And then obviously she's screaming the whole time as well. So it's the emotional impact as well. And I mean, even things like later on in the movie, she has the scars on her face. And yeah. the scars aren't like, they aren't like Loomis's burn marks in like <laughs> Halloween 4 and Halloween 5, where they're like Frankenstein monsters. They're things like they're sitting down. not down- Halloween 6, <laughs> because he got plastic surgery. Yeah, he was okay. <laughs> yeah. But not Halloween 6, because he got skin grafts. And also, yeah. Uh, but they deleted that. I love that they deleted that line from the theatrical cut. Like, literally one line <laughs> of, I got skin grafts. And it's like, no, that line needs to go. Um But, like, here, even things like the close-ups when they're eating dinner together, they're having pizza, and you can see the scars on both her face and her friend, and Annie's face as well. (laughs) And it's like, no, these these physical scars will be with them as much as the emotional scars for the rest of their lives, which is not how these horror movies work. Like, I really like the Scream movies, but Sidney Prescott doesn't have that many visible scars. I know Dewey walks with a limp, but, like, Gail doesn't have any physical scars. But Dewey's limp is even, it's a a running joke. I like as well that she looks... Believable, her and Annie look believably messy. They're not wearing any makeup. Like so often in horror movies, when the final girl recovers, she's just like, "Oh, back to normal," and here I am, and I'm all dressed up. That like they, she can't even be bothered to brush her hair. You know what I mean? And she's wearing what looks like one of Rob Zombie's hats for for much of the movie as well, which I always find kind of distracting. <laughs> but um, but yeah, it's it's just I love that side of it as well, definitely. Do we want to talk about the, the hospital sequence? Because I think Andrew oh. didn't like the fake-out sequence. Oh, my goodness. You, you you mentioned the pizza scene there. I just wanted to say that 
Mark Boone Jr. in that yes. scene where he, he's I playing the pizza box. <laughs> Is, is so greasy. Um, just absorbs so much. <laughs> so convincing. I love him though. I love when he pops up. Sorry. No, he's great. He's terrific. Aww. He's so Once good. I managed yeah. to squeeze at least two, possibly more, Sons of Anarchy actors in here. <laughs> I kept getting distracted. <laughs> they, they have like they have a Rob Zombie vibe. There is a they certain do. Rob Zombie. Uh, like, yeah, I love yeah. that. Like this movie does not take place in the suburbs whatsoever. Laurie lives in the middle of the countryside with the brackets. Yeah. It's we've completely given up on the idea of this being suburban horror. Yeah, but like. I want to talk about the opening scene in the hospital, right? Andrew didn't like She's the fact... biker country. It's, it is biker country. Andrew, you didn't like the fact it's a fake out. Do you want to talk a little bit about that before we talk about the scene? Or do you want to save it? For- but, um, I think I really cared about um, like Octavia yeah. Spencer's character, the nurse. Yeah. It was so horrific. And I did... And, and, and another person I really cared about... Buddy. Um, was Buddy. Mm. Uh, Richard Richard Beale from from uh, Office Space. He, he should have got the car. He should have got the car going quicker, though. I mean, what the fuck <laughs> is he doing? Like, do you know what I mean? It's like, mate, you got to get killed. You're on the clock here. Like, he, he, <laughs> he's he, a piece he, of shit. <laughs> glad he's dead. And locking the door as well. It's like me. This, all, all this needless time. Just just go. He also the- dies in hatchet. <laughs> so. Yeah. He shows up in Hatchet and yeah, dies too. This is an awful guy. <laughs> but like like everybody else in this movie, Andrew, he's a terrible human being. But I do <laughs> I do love that he's he's named Buddy like her teddy bear. Like her teddy bear you see later on is named yeah. Buddy, which I love. Like it's it's the thing where it's in the dream. She's dreaming about her cute teddy bear of a security guard coming to save her, yeah. but not. You know, so, yeah. Just, I just realised he's in an office space. Yeah, the jumping conclusions, Matt. Uh, sorry, that's right. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> he's a real, real great actor, is what he is. But he sorry, is. he is terrific. But I, I really kind of, I, I, I suppose, if it's making a point and making it well, and if I'm, if I'm being kind of like generous, I can say that like it's as meaningful for her because it's kind of part of her trauma or part of her kind of fear, even if it's not kind of real in like inverted commas. You, you know what I mean? Mm. As, as in it's real for her because she experienced it. Whether these people ever lived and were murdered, like it, it's, it's, it's meaningful because it's part of her experience. But 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 as as I I guess as an audience you you're you're kind of like oh I cared about those people they didn't die <laughs> it f- kind of feels like the rug is being pulled out from under me and and for me it wasn't something that kind of in the moment was effective I was just like oh she shall <laughs> was a dream <laughs> fuck you Rob Zombie you've alienated you me know? you lost me twenty minutes in <laughs> um, but I found it one yeah oh it's so. It's so brutally effective, though, especially as like openings mm-hmm. or even any sequence in the Halloween franchise. Like it's one of the best. I remember the trailer for this was mostly that sequence. Yes. And it was fucking <laughs> terrifying. I used to watch it over and over and over and over. And it's it's brilliantly done. And I mean, me personally, it doesn't it doesn't bother me that it's a dream because I think, Andrew, I think you're probably right. And it's just that it's kind of part of her trauma and her PTSD and it's her brain like working through it. Right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but I can understand why if you're invested in kind of what happens to those people, it could feel like a bit of a cheat. But God, I just think it's so it's still so scary. Can I throw I... something at? Oh, sorry. Go ahead there, Grace. 
No, I was just going to say, like, what I found really effective about it was that I think I watched these two, like, this and the Rob Zombie's first Halloween fairly close together, like, maybe a day or two apart. And when this one, like, when that whole bit in the hospital started, like, after the initial bit where it, it shows her being treated, because I agree that I think that's a very necessary and very visceral, like, brutal in the right way um, portrayal of the impact that the trauma has had in her body. But when the stuff in the hospital started up and he just reappeared and started stabbing all the nurses, like, aside from everything we've talked about already where I feel like you know that the gruesomeness of those deaths has a purpose there was also a part of me that was like oh are we are we literally just gonna just go through like straight back into another rehash mm. of the first one where it's just gonna be a bunch of people right. running and screaming and getting stabbed so I was a bit like meh and then as soon as it turned out to be a dream I was like oh actually this is much more interesting like yeah. th- that was a moment when it just really clicked with and me and I was I, like that's really smart it's a good point very smart yeah it's a good and, point and just to uh it's an interesting that, my Sorry. and it's a it's a deconstruction as well if if we're mm-hmm. talking about it as de- it is deconstruction because he's saying no i'm not doing what you think i'm doing yeah like it, i'm doing something different it's him rejecting halloween too yes it's, it's like like the the, th- the problem for him sorry, oh, sorry grace. grace no i was just gonna say my, my sister who is a fairly big horror fan and has watched a lot of these movies said that she hated that bit in the hospital so much she turned it off before it was revealed that it was a fake out. Oh, really? Because I texted her and I was like, like while I was watching it, and I was like, oh, this like fake out was really interesting. And she's like, what do you want about? And I was like, please, <laughs> you need to go back and finish it. Because she was like, I didn't even get but, that far. I was just like, no, bored, turned it off. That's 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 so interesting because it, it's kind of like, it it should be kind of like an, an effective way of him having his cake and eating it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, and, and, but, but doing it in a way that he gets to tell the story that he wants to tell, but you have that opening scene that's very good, but that, that is also kind of like feels, as you say, like a rehash. But the, the, the fact that, 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 uh, that your sister turns it off. It's like Rob Zombie. You just needed to, like, you know, um, mm-hmm. have the fake out after the nurse is killed, but before <laughs> Buddy. Buddy. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. And has not, to my knowledge, actually gone back and finished it yet. <laughs> but I, I, I think, like, again, this is the thing where we're, you ask, like, are we giving Zombie too much credit for what he's doing? I think the fact that he's talked about the problem with Halloween being half of it is my movie and then half of it is me just remaking John Carpenter's Halloween. The fact that his Halloween 2 starts with him speed running Rick Rosenthal's Halloween 2 and then going, nah, not doing that. <laughs> yeah. I I think there is like deliberate purpose that. Yeah. And I think part of me wonders, and again, I don't, I love that I say I don't want to cast aspersions on horror fans right before I cast aspersions on horror fans. But I do <laughs> wonder if, to Joey's point, the fact that the trailer is all, look at this kick-ass horror movie set in a hospital. Right. We're going, we're doing Rick Rosenthal's Halloween 2, which, as we've talked about, Rosenthal's Halloween 2 is a movie that has been reappraised and reassessed and is loved by slasher fans. It's a movie that many horror fans consider to be one of the best horror slasher sequels ever made. So it does feel like, imagine you're going to the cinema, you've seen the trailer that Joey mentions that is like 90% footage from the first 20 minutes of this movie, <laughs> And you're like, great, yeah. they're gonna do it's gonna be gnarly and graphic and violent. And then it's like, no, rugs pulled out from under you. It's actually a meditation on trauma. I hope you like therapy sessions. Um, but sorry, and sorry. And very slow moving. Like, yeah. I mean, it takes actually quite I didn't notice this the first time I watched it because presumably I was so engrossed, but watching it this time, I think I paused it at some point, whatever timestamp came up. Michael still hadn't really like actually murdered too many people at that point, and it was like a solid hour in or something. Yeah. And I was like, oh. 
this is this is actually like it, it doesn't feel like a slow burn but it is a slow burn in so many ways it's a very patient, it is patient. Film. yeah yeah very much so which is thematically relevant obviously he's he's killed it he's killed a ton of imaginary people. he has yeah there's like a, 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 a huge kind of uh, vat of... It's like you order a skip and it's and like... one dog. This skip is going to be like far too big. We're never going to fill this. But then like Michael Myers fills it. That, that is a great image. With, with dead bodies. bodies. And you, you imagine that like Laurie was... Like it's at night. So she was asleep. Michael Myers came into the hospital like he was playing Hitman or something. He just like dragged everybody <laughs> and put them in a big bin <laughs> out the back, but, which, is, which is tremendous. I think um, to that point, actually, regarding the bin thing, there was a, I don't know if we saw during the week, well, during six weeks ago or whatever, where, where far ahead we are when this is released. <laughs> but somebody put on a, a tweet on Twitter about um, Suspiria Um and the scene, if it anybody has seen Suspiria... The Argento version, I assume? Yes. The, yeah, well, the only version, I should say. <laughs> okay. So, oh, right. Anyway, yes. Agreed. So, this the scene where she kind of steps off the ledge into the barbed wire. Oh, God, which, yeah. Which is an extraordinary scene. But somebody was saying, like, you know, because the camera cheats by just showing the woman, and then it only shows the barbed wire. Then it's like, how could she not see the barbed wire? And somebody made the point, and this, this speaks to the Rob Zombie sequence, actually, that, like, the barbed in a in a in an Argento film where kind of dreams and the real world interconnect and kind of cross over. The con- the barbed wire doesn't exist until the camera shows it because mm. it's such a dreamy, weird kind of film. And and that shot overhead at the hospital in the skip is both red in the similar way that the barbed wire scene is, and it very kind of feels like an Argento shot in it which I really really like because Zombie I think he very clearly knows his horror history yeah. and he very clearly knows what kind of films and what kind of filmmakers he admires and I like seeing that because I knew it was a dream sequence the second time around they didn't it the first time or a, a fake out I could watch it to see if it felt like a dream if you like and there's lots of little uncanny bits throughout, which I really, really like. Like, and it works very, very well. Yeah. How empty the hospital is. is yeah. the big yes, one. exactly. Precisely yes, things that I get. Actually, yeah. well, it's because they've filled the skip. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the skip, to, to Andrew's to, point. To Grace's point and to Andrew's point, like, it will shock no one to discover that Mark Boone, Jun's, uh, Mark Boone Jr. sequence was added in reshoots so that Michael could kill somebody early in the movie. Um, that was apparently a Weinstein <laughs> note was he needs to kill somebody earlier. So they're like, and Andrew's right. He, we got this actor. He's great. He's playing the pizza. He's playing the pizza, the cardboard pizza box. But I think he can be convincing <laughs> in this scene too. Sorry, Andrew. Exactly. But the, the, um, <laughs> the uh, he's very good in terms of the, like, it's very clear that this, this thing that we spoke about earlier about, there being a guy who's a piece of shit, but you kind of care about him because his daughter, who doesn't seem too bad, yeah, um, loves him and doesn't want him to die, and doesn't want to have to watch him die, and and doesn't want herself to die. So the you yeah. you really do feel, or I felt anyway, for the people in that scene mm-hmm. because there is that kind of like. You have you have the great sense that people in the world care for these people, um, yeah, and it is just very strongly done. I do also want to point out the do- the dog eating scene as well. Like again, that's a nice reference to the John Carpenter mm. original, which nobody remembers. Nobody remembers that Michael ate a dog in the. I didn't. <laughs> 
Yeah. I thought this was the first time that Michael Myers eat. This is a, a nice way as well for Rob Zombie, if, you know, no one is aware of his perspective on animal rights to intercut with um, the scene of them talking about the ethics of eating meat. And yeah. Yeah. I can't remember who it is, but somebody likens it to this. Yes. No, it's the sheriff Caveman. who said, he it's said that in a joking way where yeah. he's like, oh, it's just like, we're just meant to do it. Like, we're basically just bloodthirsty animals kind of thing. And it's, like, it's very yeah. on the nose, but uh, quite effective. But again, it, it also ties into that broader theme of we're all meat. Like we we are all like sacks of goo and blood and liquid and fluid. But it, I don't like to think about myself that way, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, but also I'd say there's there's an element of like you know, I'm not sure I go that far with it, but I would say that I think from a Rob Zombie perspective, taking something that you know vulnerable and still has thoughts and feelings and just literally treating it as food is yeah. um it's. Pretty, yeah, pretty yeah. Uh, horrific way of evoking Michael's state of mind. Like, if ever there was any doubt, I think about whether he feels empathy for him as a character. I think it's pretty solidly eviscerated ah, in that scene. <laughs> well, yeah, and I, I think it, I, I suppose like it, it's revealing the kind of everyday, socially acceptable kind of horror that like so many uh, like people like myself and Darren yeah, anyway partake um, and and uh, yeah that 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 we're going to kind of look back uh, back on probably as a society and think of it as being something well this is the Malcolm Gladwell argument right yeah 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 um, but and okay since we're talking about animals let's talk very briefly about the white horse oh yes which is again that big lynchian image yes which is one of those things that Lynch. horror fans do not like about this movie how incredibly on they're not a lynch mob <laughs> on oh. the nose this is and again again you know we talked about rob zombie we talk about him as a metal musician I kind of felt the same way about it but uh, yeah, sorry. We talk about him as a, a metal musician. We talk about him as a filmmaker. We we don't talk enough about him as a wife guy. Huh. Um, but basically, working out how to get his wife back into the movie, she will literally ride a white horse. Oh, um, I, that's not fair. She's great. He is great. I I I liked. Like, hold she, on. I was I was Team Sherry Moon Zombie on Halloween. I remain Team Sherry Moon Zombie. I'm also pro Team Wife Guy. Huh. Big fan of yeah. Like, wife guys in movie making we love a wife guy we do love yeah. a wife guy yeah but darren Dar- darren wants a wife so he can put her in projects <laughs> um, but um or or make movies about how how terrible it would be if she died and how, de- how horrible it would be for me but to to the point about like the white horse i love that like when they ask zombie about like the symbolism of the white horse um, he's basically he's he again he does that vaguely trollish thing where he's like it doesn't actually mean anything the white horse thing was me trying to find some significant thing that could be a through line it really could have been anything it isn't like it's so significant but it's a minor event in young michael's life that is stuck in his brain that i can then tie through to laurie the white horse is such a great visual image and when i started researching the meaning of dreams but that sounds like such bullshit to me <laughs> they had a lot of significance on the white horse so it seemed like the perfect childlike image to carry through and like as much as like zombie poo-poos that i actually like i I dug into the Carl Jung, like Carl Carl Jung's psychoanalysis on horse, because we may not be doing lists, but we are doing copious research for this podcast, where Jung says, you know, the horse is an archetype that is widely current in mythology and folklore. As an animal, it represents the non-human psyche, the subhuman animal side, and therefore the unconscious. That is why the horse in folklore sometimes sees visions, hears voices, and speaks. As a beast of burden... 
it is closely related to the mother archetype. There we go. And then there's, it is evident that the horse is the equivalent of mother with a slight shift of meaning. The mother stands for life at its, at its origin, the horse for merely the animal life of the body. And I'm like, that is incredibly pretentious, but it's kind of exactly... A massive stretch that makes no effing sense. <laughs> but it's also like it's also exactly how Zombie uses the horse in this fucking movie. I love these. like, th- that's probably all bullshit, but it's also woven into the fabric of my script. <laughs> I mean... I think, I think Zombie wears this lightly, though. I think he's very yeah. much of keeping our arms down yeah. just so he doesn't have to listen to bullshit interviews every time about it. Yeah, I don't blame him, to be honest. Me neither. I, that's how I do it, I think. It feels like you could probably find, like, a horse whatchamacallit horoscope or a horse Pokemon and then describe it and be like oh that really fits with what with what Zombie's doing here I don't know sorry Um, I think for me one thing that kind of stood out to me this might be just my reading on it is that I feel like there's a bit of a recurrent motif here on um, mythology and like how pervasive these stories become in terms of our culture and our society and how they affect people um, and how they affect people's reading of events, which I think does reflect the wider theme of the movie. But as soon as that element is introduced in this kind of like dream sequence, like slightly exalted way, it feels a bit ethereal, like he's go- trying to evoke a certain mythological aspect to it. Um, and I think just just the way that she's presented makes it seem very fantastical. And it just struck me on this watch that maybe this was some kind of a commentary especially if you want to go into further meta aspects of it, like Marco Kidder's casting, for example, um, on how like these stories about, you know, killers and serial killers and everything else just become sort of part of the fabric of society. And we sort of almost glorify them to some extent. I don't know, maybe it's just me that was taking no, I... that kind of idea away from it. But just just the, the symbolism of the imagery of it, to me, kind of just really evoked this almost like mythological fascination. But the, I mean, like the fact that too... but she has a... No, she has the Charles Manson poster over her bed as well, which I think is a really interesting choice. Yeah, exactly. Because you're like, why of all people would you put that over your bed when you've dealt with Michael Myers? But I think you're probably right. And that's what he's getting out there. Yeah, I thought that myself. I think I literally wrote here in my notes. I'm like, oh, I love that the girl recovering from almost being horrifically murdered has a Charles Manson poster on the wall. And then in brackets, I'm like, oh, I guess this may also be part of the comment on iconography. She also has a picture of Jesus in the bathroom, for example. Mm. Yeah, I mean... It's worth noting that during her fantasy where she imagines killing Annie, and she imagines killing Annie in the same way that Michael killed his father, which again suggests that this thing is generational and there is Mm -hmm. something inside of her that is primal and animalistic that isn't rational or logical. But during that fantasy, she imagines herself in a glass coffin, Mm. which is Snow White. It's the virginal, like the virginal representation of like Snow White. Mm -hmm. That was was definitely a rather stupid music. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, that was the, it was the most sorry that, that's not even no, a criticism no it's, it's fair Ramstein music videos are, are fucking awesome I mean, yeah, Ramstein music videos are a bit gnarlier than that music. yeah yeah I guess but uh, they, I, I, I do like the fact that like the therapist has the most uh, white horse from <laughs> Shaq, like, that you can catch like it's so on and on how like, could you see anything else <laughs> yeah what else could you see exactly <laughs> I will say on, on, on that horse thing, like regardless of anything, I agree. I kind of take what Grace said and I agree with it. But just on the base level thing, it looks fucking great. It does. Well, it does. Put, like, because everything else is yeah, so Yeah, it out. does. Yeah. It's such yeah. a That's contrast. Like, it just looks beautiful. And 
like I'd, I'd want to see more of it just it does literally and figuratively I guess shine a light in the film there it's there are so many striking visuals yeah. like really really and Guitar, again yeah. and again more so as you say because the cinematography is so sapped of all colour deliberately so so they really just pop and they do kind of look like music music video interludes, but I kind of like that side of it. It reminded me of Near Dark a little bit, actually, on some yeah. of the shots. That kind of sh- the yeah. light behind the hills kind of thing, you know? Yes, absolutely. Well, like, okay, I guess this is a way to tie into the stuff that Grace mentioned there. Like, the cinematography is by Brandon Troust. Uh, the first Halloween, or Rob Zombie's first Halloween, was shot on 35mm film, which is traditional format when you're shooting a prestige picture. Uh, we hadn't yet gone to digital. It wanted to have grain. It wanted to have texture. He went to 16mm here, um, and that was one of the first decisions he made with Trust. And the thing about 16mm is, first of all works really interestingly in the dark so much of this movie takes place at night so much of it looks grainy and there are these wonderful backlit shots i'm thinking of laurie running through the woods Mm. i'm thinking of the bit where the car pulls up and there's this wall of white light behind it um watching rainfall in 16 millimeter film at night is beautiful and stunning it is um and i think not to put too fine a point on it Without leaning too hard into, like, the Halloween resurrection slash self-aware slash found footage stuff, Zombie's using a lot of the language of true crime when he's making this movie, and I'm talking about visually. So, very obviously, you have the sequence where, like, Lee Brackett finds his daughter Annie, and he's holding her on the ground, and he's crying, and they're playing home video footage of Danielle Harris as a child, which is the kind of thing that they do in those true crime documentaries, when you have the body, and it's like, remember how it was as a child. You have, like, at several points, it goes into slow motion, um, at Mm -hmm. the use of, like, the 60 millimeter footage. That was very affecting. Yeah. There's the moment where, like, Laurie gets shot at the climax, and she falls backwards, and it dissolves into a series of still images. And again, that's something that looks like true crime photography. It's like if you're watching a documentary and they don't have footage of an incident, they have just multiple photographs of it and they will layer those and play them as a slideshow. And again, even things like the closing credits playing over shots from crime scenes of Michael Myers' victims. Mm. And to Grace's point about like the way that we mythologize serial killers and the way that we create these mythologies around violence... Obviously, the Sam the Lewis, Lewis part. stuff, yeah. Yes, but I was going to mention before we jump to that the fact the red the red rabbit lounge is even getting in on the act, where yes. it has a giant poster saying that this is where Michael Myers' mother used to strip yeah. in order to make as quick or as cheap a book off like Michael Myers as possible. Shocking, yeah, yeah shocking stuff. But obviously, completely believable as well. Mm-hmm. Is that what people want in a strip club? <laughs> Well, that's the reason I go, Andrew. <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. Which famous serial killer's mother stripped here is the question. Um, but, like, and, and yes. There's a franchise. And, and the Loomis stuff. Oh, which... asshole Loomis is the like, best. Mass, mass, mass murder <laughs> strip clubs are, are, are serial killer strip clubs. Which, which your is preference. Your, kind of, it, it's so Actually, difficult to choose. I, I, I wrote down the, the bad taste quote when I heard it in the film, so go for it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. It's bad taste. <laughs> bad taste is the petrol that drives the American dream. Um, and Loomis, you know, undoubtedly an asshole of, oh, of the highest order. Yes. <laughs> an amazing Pretty revolting, yes. <laughs> but he's, but he he's so right sure. and he's funny. Yeah. But it's but it's such a fascinating take. <laughs> it is. Yeah. But the it's... fact that he gets owned by Weird Al Yankovic, oh, like you God. got snapped no, right. by Weird Al Yankovic. 
and, and Chris Hardwick. By the way, what what movie do Chris Hardwick and Weird Al Yankovic think they're in? <laughs> like they they because they, they, that's all that's the only thing they've shot, so they have no idea what the rest <laughs> of the movie is. It's it must be it's, it's such a like when they watch the movie, they're like. Wow, we're, we're, a, lot of, a lot of dead bodies here. How, how, yeah, how, how is this going oh, to kind of my uh, image? Yeah, how yeah. is this going to affect my image? Uh, well, again, like, no, no, like, like, what, how is this going to tie into that one scene? Yeah, that I, was sure. in? uh, I mean, to to the Loomis thing. Um, totally. I, before we talk about like the true crimeness of it, which is obviously a big factor of it, I do think there is something of there is something self aware in this, in that like Loomis is. This guy who has made a fortune off Michael Myers, who has like produced a work of art around Michael Myers, and it has made him famous and rich and given him influence and power that he never had before. And like, there's a very strong sense of self-loathing in all this where like he goes to the book signing and you have, what is it, Greg, the bringer of death? Oh, yeah. Um, and that feels like all an right. experience. So it was with two T's. Yeah, sorry, apologies. Yeah. It's uh, Chet, the bringer of death. Chet, yeah. But that's such a common thing nowadays, especially among yes. obviously horror fans, but like the true crime community. Yeah. But that's exactly what I was thinking watching it. Those guys are the it's, coolest. It's very, very prescient. And I love, I love when he gets confronted at the book signing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yep. I think that's such a brilliant scene. And again, like he plays it perfectly too. Because you're you're kind of not quite sure whether he does feel any remorse. He's telling them, "Oh, I have enormous sympathy for you and whatever," but it feels rehearsed. Yes, it does. Yeah. It yeah. feels very rote. In fact, I think he says it earlier in the movie as well, which gives yeah. the impression that yeah, he's just kind of rattling it off. But I do love that moment where he's like, "It's the wrong picture," and when you see the picture, it's like so obviously supposed to look like Donald Pleasance with like the popped collar. Yes, uh, at the, the <laughs> yes. oh, it's so funny. That is. That's old yeah, Loomis. This is we're selling new Loomis, which again feels like feels like zombie being like you're selling Carpenter's Halloween. You're meant to be selling zombies but Halloween. Just, but it's such like it's such a risky take considering how beloved that character is, and we know now from watching ten of these things mm-hmm. that they keep bringing him back and bringing him back and bringing him back. So for zombie to just twist it so much. And I think it works brilliantly. And I think Malcolm McDowell is so fantastic. And I genuinely couldn't tell watching it that he'd only done two days on the movie. I'm shocked to hear that. I mean, I would say to that, like, those scenes are good. But I think it is disjointed in the sense that, like, tonally it's a very different movie when Loomis is around. Like, it's a comedy. And I don't think the rest of the movie is at all. <laughs> like, but I still, I still feel like it's very dark because not even the fact that he's so brazen and how he's using it, but like that scene yeah. where he's in front of the Myers house and his, uh, his assistant is like, "Oh my god, what are you doing? Like, we, we yeah, this is a bit much. That we can't. We uh, this is too much even for me. And are you going to go dance on the graves of the victims? Yeah, yeah. But I think even that scene is funny. Oh, it like is. The, it is. Yeah, but it's but darkly in, funny in, though. I think it's like it it yes, comes from very. again from you're kind of uncomfortable because you're like this is a bit much <laughs> like but, I don't but yeah. does it feel incongruous with the rest of the movie like I'm glad it's in there because I enjoyed those scenes mm. and like um, I, I, I think I, they break up the movie a little bit I think which which does help yeah, perhaps yes. yeah it's yeah. less less relentless it's a, it's, it's yeah. a touch of a touch of a release in them like maybe a little comedy to, to kind of because I think two hours of that kind of full rubs on the experience there's a lot to ask for any of anyone like 
Um, now Samuel Loomis for a touch of levity. I know. Plus, <laughs> but like, I, I think as the reason, the reason I think it works well is because the movie is about how all of these different people have been affected by this one horrible thing. And Loomis is key to that because he hasn't been affected in the way you think he's been affected. No. In fact, yeah. he's profited. Exactly. He's profited yeah. off it. He's not fucking helping Laurie or helping anyone else. He doesn't give a he shit. He certainly didn't help Michael. No, he didn't help Michael. <laughs> he doesn't feel... The- hey, remember when someone asks him, do you feel responsible? And he like balks at the question. He's like, how dare you? How dare you suggest that? Yeah, it gets really annoyed. And he's like, I will say it one more time for your puny brains. Yeah, and you're like, of course, but I mean, we, we know you gave up on him because we saw it in the previous movie. You were like, I can't do any more. Goodbye. This has lasted longer than my last yes. marriage. Um, you're the closest thing I have to a friend. Can you think about how sad that makes like, me it feel? Just, yeah. Um, so so for me, that's why, it, that's why it does fit because I think in that context of how it's affected everyone in different ways. And then obviously the way he comes back at the end, I think. Well, he feels like he's done everything a child psychologist could do. He's sat there, he's listened, he's tried to understand, he's shot him six times. Like, what, what <laughs> more could you ask from? I shot him six times! <laughs> I shot him six times! I will say, though, just to, in terms of the first film, because I, 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 was, I wasn't doing a podcast on it, but do you know the way you're talking about um, him versus the Pleasance version? Yes. I like the fact that in the first zombie Halloween, they just stuck a brown wig on them even though it's the exact same age, like I'm, 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 I'm younger, Malcolm McDonald. Yes, in flashback in the seventies. Yeah. Uh, oh god. I kind of, I kind of, I, I thought, I, I thought I'm it was hip incredible. Seventies alternative therapist. It's so like, good. I, I believe it. Yeah. What? Yeah. I, I mean, like again, I think the Loomis character is being used to make a comment on like counterculture because yeah. again zombie is a filmmaker who is very tied to 70s horror he's very anchored in the 70s as an aesthetic and as a decade and loomis is very much the idea of like the timothy leary type who sold out he's the countercultural professor who shows up with the long hair and the alternative theories and the idea of how to help kids but in the end he's just like can i make a quick book i want to read a line from the fangoria review of rob zombies halloween 2 just to zo to sorry to joey's point about like how fans reacted to this version of Loomis. I just want to put this in context with just one line from a Fangoria review. While I can respect painting Dr. Loomis in a brand new manipulated portrait, I can't get beyond the feeling of complete character assassination. Loomis represented everything an honest, ethical doctor should be. (laughs) To turn him into a greedy, arrogant ass, it just hurts me. Who wrote that? Name and shame. <laughs> you can Google it and find out. It is no longer I on think... Fangoria because they purged the website, but some, one of the writers put it up on their own website. I will include it in the show notes. But I love that it's like he Loomis was such an innocent, perfect man. I think they're talking about Halloween 6 Loomis. Maybe, yeah, <laughs> the reformed yeah. Loomis. They, they should have specified the film. Yeah, it's like swan song. Loomis is good now. We're going to have a, like, a, yeah... But again, that's someone that's someone who's like too connected to the movies and needs to step step away now. Yeah. And also that, that's like, how where, that reads to me. Bad film criticism. Where where are they getting this from? Because like yeah. I, I have no strong opinion on Loomis one way or the other in the original. I'm like, he was treating someone who was a bit of a psychopath and he was like, Oh shit, better keep him locked up and then he escapes and he's like, Oh shit, better run after him. But like there's not not, not much more profundity to it than that. Nope. So where is this yeah. notion coming from? Again, like if you were if you're bringing something to a film, great. If you're reading into a character, great. But you have to be 
upfront about that as opposed to being like, I feel betrayed. Yeah. And like, illustrate your points, I, please. I feel like the, the subsequent movies, maybe aside from Six, mm. six um, make it fairly logical if you're going to kind of look at Loomis a little bit closer, what kind of a guy <laughs> is he going to be? I, I, I think the character in the zombie movies makes perfect sense and yeah. it's very it entertaining. It does. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I love Loomis. Loomis is one of my favorite fictional characters in both versions. Yeah. I do not think that he is an icon of ethical medical practice. Far from it. Like, I'm not like he represented everything an ethical doctor. I would not like him as my, I would not like him as my doctor. No. Yeah. Uh, he way. is, to be fair, the most ethical doctor in Smith's Grove, per the curse of Michael Myers. You'd be good to t- tell stories about him. That's probably true. You could tell your friends stories about, like... Uh, let me tell you again about this therapist. But you wouldn't want to have any I, genuine problems. He's, 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 he's referred to me to a new doctor, Dr. Lecter. <laughs> <laughs> he just sits polishing his gun I, I, in our therapy I, I, session. I, I feel next year is going to be my year. <laughs> Dr. Lecter did help some people. He did. Right? In fairness, no? he did. <laughs> yeah. he, he let them fulfill their full potential. And to Joey's we point... We focus so much on his late career. Yeah. <laughs> Not his early good stuff. Um, to to Joey's point, yeah, there, is it is it wrong to like like the early uh, Lecter stuff, Lecter? the early funny one? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Brian Cox era, I think uh, we call it. <laughs> but to, to Joey's point about the climax of this movie, oh, yeah. which I find kind of interesting, where it's like Loomis, like he's having this dark night of the soul after he's been embarrassed and exposed by Weird Al, of all people. But he's sitting there, he's calling himself a fraud, and he's looking in the mirror, and he sees the like the television standoff that's happening. And I love, I love that he's like, I know exactly what I need to do at this moment in time. I spent 15 years failing to get through to Michael Myers. The last time that this happened, he went on a killing spree that left dozens of teenagers dead. Don't worry. I got this for you. Like the bit where he shows up to Brackett and he's like, he runs into the middle of the field and puts his hands up and says, Sheriff Brackett, I owe you yeah. this. And you're like, no, no, no. no. Like, at all. Yeah. No. Yes. When he, he sees himself as like a a a kind of, you know, he he wants to be the main character. I think all yeah. the time. Yeah, and I think he's trying to cleanse his soul as well, and he's just yeah. going about it completely the wrong way. Um, again, we we should make some note some differences between the director's cut and the theatrical cut. Obviously, the music is very different. Zombies soundtrack here is really really great. Mm. I I really love like the use of Nights of White Satin and love hearts, yeah. which are not what you expect to hear in a like Rob Zombie Halloween movie. Jay. Can I say Transylvania Terror Train is a bop as well? Is that the from, song from, from the concert? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah. With the I naked was, ladies. Hey, I was wondering. I thought that band were pretty cool. Yeah, they were great. <laughs> they were good. I was like, I go see them. I enjoyed While it. While we're talking about the music, it is worth noting that this movie, the director's cut in particular, doesn't actually use John Carpenter's iconic classic Halloween score during its runtime. It uses it once during the closing credits, but not during the opening credits, not during the opening sequence, not during any of the action beats as well. Yeah. Reminds me of it. We talked, I think, last week about how Zombie originally did not want to use the Halloween theme in his reboot of Halloween, Mm. but then the implication is that the wine scenes forced him to. So it's kind of interesting that I think this is the only Halloween movie with the notable exception, obviously, of Halloween 3, 
that does not feature the Halloween theme at any point during it. It's one way that kind of marks this as... It's just another thing that helps this movie stand apart from the rest of the franchise. And I think if you look at the closing scene, you can uh, kind I also, from the concert, sorry to interrupt there. Sorry. Oh, not from until Seymour Coppins. From, from the concert, I feel like I, I need to shout out that that Frankenfurter costume is fucking fantastic. I have to say, it's though, so good. I have to say, though, it yeah. really bugs me that she keeps saying, I'm a chick pretending to be a dude who wants to be a chick. That's not what Frankenfurter fucking is. And it's so irritating. She says it twice. I do enjoy, though, when uh, Laurie's like... I, I'd, I'd probably let her away with that. And to be honest, I'd probably let that one slide. Just for the outfit. It bugs me. It bugs what? me as a... It, it, is, it is 2009. It's, like, it's one of those things she, where it's like, it's a little bit transphobic, but it could be more transphobic. She's, told, so how do, she, she's dressed as Tim Curry. <laughs> she's, she, maybe maybe she's not dressed as Frankenfurter at all. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're <laughs> saying, because he's a male actor. I do enjoy, though, when yeah. Laurie, when they're first talking about the costumes, and Laurie's like, oh, it's just so obvious, and it's so, like, theater kid. Because, like, if you know what it is, you're like, ha, ha, ha. Because <laughs> I love, love, love Rocky R. So, yeah, yeah. I, that, that's cool to me. That's, and, <laughs> Angela Trimber is, 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 is that actor. She, she, she plays Harley David. And then, and then Bria Grant is the other one, which is shocking because she's become, like, such a horror icon in her own right now. Well, yeah. So that was cool. I was like, what? <laughs> Is Angela Trimber also in Final Girls? I I think I saw. Yeah, that. she is. Yeah, she yeah. is. Yeah, she's sorry. She's a pretty well known, well known horror actor too. Um, in terms of other changes between the theatrical cut and director's cut, obviously the ending was a big yeah. deal because to get him to sign on to make this movie in eight months. Basically, Zombie negotiated with the Weinsteins that he would be freed from his contractual obligation to make a third movie. And you watch the climax of this movie, and it really does feel like a guy who is doing his utmost to make sure that there cannot be a Halloween <laughs> yeah. 3. Yeah. Where the the theatrical cut of this movie, um, the director's cut of this movie, the original cut of this movie that Zombie made, obviously ends with like Michael like shot dead. Uh, it ends with Laurie about to stab Loomis and being shot by the police officers and implicitly ending up in like purgatory or the afterlife. The Weinsteins were like, no, no, you are not doing that. So they recut the ending so that what happens is like, is it uh, he gets pushed back onto like a farm appliance and stabbed. Uh, Laurie stabs him he stabs Loomis cutting up Loomis's face like a jack-o'-lantern and then the movie ends with her institutionalized basically she is psychiatrically institutionalized they use the same closing shot but it's heavily implied to be a psychiatric institution rather than purgatory Mm. whereas I do like that like the end of zombies cut of the movie is like no 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 burn it burn it all I don't know I I thought there was a hint at Halloween 3 though if if he was going to go down the route of her being evil I thought that was kind of still, even in the director's cut, I thought that was still kind of hinted at. Yeah, I I kind of stupidly thought that, yeah, she is in a psychiatric hospital, but it's kind of this unreal. Yes, that's what, sort of, yeah, I thought the um, same. Yeah. Cult of Chucky-esque in my yeah. <laughs> is, is that her own perception of what it is? 
or is this literally like um, well obviously it's not literally where she is because because she's dead apparently but also yeah, horses yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Either Spitzgrove e- has a strict that, no horses policy. That either that either she's in purgatory or she's in a psychiatric hospital. But if she's in a psychiatric hospital, she's not quite kind of um, aware of reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that that. Um, I read I read the ending of it that is that she she died, um, and I think it kind of it fades out in that way, kind of just kind of yeah, endless void kind of thing. Mm. Uh, it was a fairly lynching kind of stuff as well, and I think, I think Darren's probably right in terms of uh, it's just buried. Let let them re- reboot if they have to, but they're not, they're not, they're not carrying the treads on from this. Yeah. yeah, rightly so. Get that overhead shot of the three of bodies lying on the ground, just so you don't, just for any yeah. kind of avoidance of doubt. Casey, you didn't get the reference. You see, you see him shot like a whole lot of times before the before the ground uh, collapses and he falls into a mine shaft. Huh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a la the ending of Halloween 4 uh, yeah. we should note as well in the theatrical cut she does she comes out of the shack after killing him wearing the Michael Myers mask so the implication would be that they wanted to do a sequel where she would turn out to be the slasher and we will right. talk about it when we talk about which they about haven't the... done no I... that they, that they... can you imagine the reaction they did it with Danielle Harris kind of the um as the niece but not yeah. with Laurie and even then they walked that one back pretty quickly they did immediately, immediately. yeah they did oh yeah <laughs> so, they're like oh you're she's grand she's just a flesh wound she's, she's recovering your mom's fine <laughs> <laughs> she sends her best <laughs> yeah she does send her best um we should note that yeah so is there anything else we want to talk about with regards to the movie anything we haven't discussed already anything in anybody's notes so Jay um yeah I have a couple of things um isn't it nice to see a cow be hitting the road rather than a deer like every other fucking American film of the last 100 years? Yeah. You know, hit, hit cows, not deer. I mean, if you if you have to hit anything, then yes. Hit a, yeah, like they're little horse bars or the deers should be saved. It's such a cliche, so I'm delighted at that. Um, I want a bald eagle. Yeah. <laughs> In third thing, we need to play that. We need to play the audio clip from the straight story here where she's like, I keep hitting deers and I love deer. Um, just, to, 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 just one other thing did there's a couple of things that, there's a great transition from this the sign of Haddonfield welcome to Haddonfield the slow dissolve into Michael walking across the field and it's just Twin Peaks yeah. it's Twin Peaks you can get it is mm. it really really is that shot is so beautiful and then finally the last thing that uh, Grace mentioned it that, and I think Joey mentioned as well that you find the strip club scene out of step a little bit compared to the rest of the film but what I will say about it it's perhaps the most ferocious scene I've seen in quite so I'd forgotten how mm, visceral it is. It is vicious. I was shattered at the end of it. Like It is Jesus, vicious. I just really wanted it to end. Mm-hmm. I actually admired the commitment to it. Like It doesn't not hold back in any way, shape, or form. I was actually wrung yeah. out by the end of it. Um, but, um, I yeah. think st- starting with Howard as well. Yeah. Yep. The way the way his head just gets kind of stomped and then it just gets worse. Yeah, from it there. does. And, and, it then, just, and then it shows you the stomped head. Yeah. Uh, but it, it keeps going yeah, is the thing just, and like the thing is it yeah that by the way is jeff daniel phillips he's the guy who replaced robert mosley robert mosley was supposed to play bill mosley but jeff daniel phillips plays uh sorry. bill mosley look bill mosley apologies sorry but uh bill mosley was supposed to play howard he's he was replaced by jeff daniel phillips who also played seymour coffins uh, uh, uncle seymour coffins you use his real you put respect on that name in this in this sense <laughs> it's uh, that character by the way what the fuck is that character? 
I'm just like, every time he shows up, I'm like, no, go away now. Why couldn't he have died instead of poor Howard? Or poor Wolfman, whoever the the wolf, he, the kid with the... He, like, I, lo- I love that yeah. cut to the inside of the van where the kid is like having a beer. Yeah. Where he's like, he's with this really beautiful woman and he's no idea what to do. And he's just like opening a can of beer by himself, but trying she, to make conversation. He, like, he is so endearingly awkward. Yeah. Like, it's actually adorable. She's like, oh, like, basically like like thrusting herself at him and he's like oh that's nice yeah she's like i want your we yeah like, oh. piss on me and he's like oh, oh. oh no that's, that's a bit gross i'll be back who is that who is that actor do you know darren because he like he sounds really familiar but i couldn't place him he was great actually yeah w- yeah no he's great we need to find out who this guy is. I I I think it, it means a lot that earlier in when I was saying there are no likable characters that someone immediately was like, but that guy, that wolf guy. Yeah, he's nice. Well, yeah, wait, absolutely. That, this <laughs> yeah. guy really struck me for some reason. This watch, I was like, oh my god, he's yeah. adorable. And then I couldn't remember he if is. he died, and then he died, and I was like, why? For God's sake. <laughs> what, the most the like, death sweet was... and innocent little person. And he's the only one who dies at that party. Like, Michael goes to that party, kills one person, and then just carries on. <laughs> well, kills two people. He kills your woman in the van as well, to be fair. Oh, sorry, you're yeah. right. Um, she dies too. But and, and that death was originally meant to be much more elaborate, but they did not have time to shoot it. So they took casts of both characters' heads, for example. They were supposed to be, like, dismembered and, like, all that sort of stuff. But they were like, we do not have time. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, we do okay. not have time to shoot that, unfortunately. Um, so sorry, I am just looking for an actor here. I do not know who it is. I think it may I be... don't know the character's name, so I don't. That's the problem I have. Yeah. Sean Whelan is Bex, perhaps, I think. I'm going to guess he's Wolfie, is he? Uh, that that, that would make sense. There we That would make sense. So who is who plays... In, in which case, IMDb says it's somebody called Matt Bush. Ah, great, great He name. looks great exactly name. the way I expect him to look from his voice. You'd imagine him. <laughs> <laughs> um... All right, and Grace and Joey, anything you want to talk about with the film? Anything we haven't discussed already? Um, I just, I just wanted to make a point that after however many movies of Michael just having zero presence whatsoever, finally he has some presence. Like the way Tyler Maine moves, the way he—he's really great. That actually, was he's very yeah, good. The way he stabs, yeah. the way he grunts when he stabs as well. I am kind of wondering what's in his bag. Is it just the mask? Because he has a little bag the whole time. Well, I mean, look, that's a very 2009 kind of thing where you had, I think, you know, in pop culture, the idea of the man bag was coming back. Thanks to, you know, for example, Kiefer Sutherland's Jack Bauer on 24 was never seen without his man bag. And and no, that is not a list if it only contains one item. (laughs) It is, in fact, Michael Myers' man bag. (laughs) He uh, he's doing the dog sandwich. He's doing an appearance at uh, the 45th anniversary, and that will have passed obviously when this has aired. But he was on a podcast and he was talking about how the mask. He forgot how hot the mask was, so he was like, "When I put it back on, I was like, shit." And he's like, "I had to run around chasing people with this mask on, like he couldn't believe it." But yeah, he's. I don't know. I I know Bernice didn't think she thought because he's this huge hulking dude that it wasn't as effective as when Michael looks like a normal person but I like the idea of a superhuman Michael Myers I think it fits and I think he well it would explain a lot yeah absolutely and I think when that kid goes up to him and is like are you a giant like can we be friends can we be friends and then the mom's like come on But I think it's the older sister yeah, oh, but yeah. <laughs> and I love that here's how old I am I'm the- like that's his mom <laughs> She looks thirty. <laughs> I feel like if she, if she hadn't said, "Come on, let's go," 
the rest of the movie would have just been him trick-or-treating with that young yeah, child. Yeah, probably, yeah. Of mice and men, right, basically. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Myers befriends small child, redeems himself. But yeah, yeah I just, so I just think, exactly. I just think he's fantastic in this. And again, just to say like Annie's death scene, I think it's really interesting oh, that stop. we, we mostly hear it. We don't really yeah. see much of it, which is a deliberate yeah. choice. Brad Dourif just plays it beautifully. Yeah, he does. He's great. Like, Dorf's incredible. He's, so, he's, so, he's so fantastic. And I mean, that scene just went around on Twitter actually recently where people were saying, oh, this is one of the best scenes in the in the franchise. And it's actually better than the original scene of Brackett discovering that Annie's dead, where he's kind of like, oh, and he's obviously devastated, but it, it doesn't have the same weight to it. got to leave this movie now. I am only available for two days of shooting. Exactly. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> But like, yeah, like the sequence where he's sitting on the porch and he's staring in the middle distance and they get the call about Michael Myers and he just kind of, they're yes. like, do you want me to handle it? And just that bit where he's staring into distance, he says, I think you better drive. Like, it's just, it's incredible. And again, that is, that is a funny scene though, when your one comes in and she's like, the dialogue is so funny where she's like, it's dispatch. And he's like, yeah. And, and <laughs> did yeah, you send a call. car? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah uh, why are you telling me this well it's your house lead with that like what what are you doing it's the someone's lead up like yeah I got a call and we lost like 20 valuable seconds exactly his daughter's dying like Brackett Brackett totally gets away with smoking drugs (laughs) yes Um, he does because his daughter has just died it's like no one's gonna mention that well, I think if you lived in Haddonfield and it had been through all of this, like you'd, you'd almost be weirder for not needing a little crutch to get through. Absolutely. Yeah, Especially I, if you're I've, on the police force that has to go and witness the grisly aftermath and never know when you might be butchered yourself. Yeah. And again, the fact I, that Brackett is a decent man as well. Like I think. Yes, yeah. Brackett, Brackett hasn't been curdled by it. Yeah. And you can tell he's disgusted by Loomis as well. You can tell he just fucking. Well, the bit where he says, I should kill you. He says, I should. He puts a gun against his head and repeats it. Yeah. And he doesn't. And the fact that he doesn't arguably makes the situation worse. It does. And then then Patrick from SpongeBob. (laughs) And Patrick from SpongeBob is his deputy. Oh. Stop it. Yeah. That's right. That's Patrick. I saw, I, I saw that yeah. on IMDb. He, just, he doesn't that do he, much. It's just one of those like Rob Zombie things that he puts in and he's like, it's this guy. <laughs> <laughs> it would be funny if he was doing the Patrick um, voice. Bracket bringing up Paint Your Wagon as well, like when they bring <laughs> Lee up Marvin. Lee Marvin. And it's yeah. like, of, of, of all the iconic role, well, I know it's an iconic role, but like the thing that Lee Marvin is known for. And then he's like, Paint Your Wagon. The thing where he's like running around singing. I feel like that's a little like meta commentary on what his character is like. Oh, I just like he goes to like the sunny, like lighthearted example instead of like the hard man. I I think that speaks to something as well about the movie in the sense that I think ever since Judas uh, Myers was killed that like in this version of Haddonfield, it's gone back to a sort of a, you know, that really kind of scuzzy uh, version of like the Wild West where mm. nobody is washed like yeah. in, in, in weeks and there's just horrors everywhere and uh, sorry to to use the language of those uh, 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 movies and and that he's like the one of these kind of like the, the one good man who's the sheriff you know well, he's the doctor yes. in Deadwood he's basically the same role that he plays yes, in he Deadwood is. Um, yeah yeah, and again, I do think there is something in that idea that yeah, that that kind of zombie suggesting maybe the town froze. The town is still that scuzzy seventies. It's, it's still that scuzzy. It just 30. never, yeah, but, it just never but, moved on. But that went, 
it didn't it didn't freeze in the 70s like the the, the 1870s way it thought is that it, it 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 yeah that it went back to something like more kind of a like primal a and animalistic frontier yeah. kind of yeah yeah um sort of like think, l- l- lawless where people smoke jazz cigarettes <laughs> in the police force <laughs> <laughs> moral decay and moral corruption unforgivable inappropriate <laughs> even one might say um, inappropriate um, <laughs> in terms of food waste i mean they do eat that pizza you, were, you wouldn't see <laughs> alex murphy smoking a marijuana um, cigarette would you not in robocop no obligatory I mean, there is massive facial trauma here, which is very RoboCop. There to is. be fair, um, yeah. Oh, there's, there's, there, there's also the uh, the the hand injury that the that the strip club owner gets, where, oh, yeah. where the bone oh, comes yeah. comes comes out. That's definitely pretty yeah. gruesome. Yeah, I th- that, that's the gratuitous RoboCop reference. And again, the idea of like that corruption kind of spreading through where Lou, the greasy, like the, the ugly strip club owner, who's like dressing up as Frankenstein and passing out. Sweet. He's beautiful. <laughs> um, but like the idea that even Laurie, when she's looking at him. He's a sexy, green skinned, uh, but, like but debonair. He's actually, man. I, I don't know if anybody's seen um, Zombies version of the Monsters. Yes. Um, yes. But it's that, it's, it's exactly the, both the level of. Money the have, I'd say. I, I actually quite enjoyed it. I don't think it's very good, but uh, considering it looks like it costs about five euro to make, I think it's probably about <laughs> as, as good as you'd expect it could be. And but, uh, yeah. how much of this movie Michael spends with the mask on? Which I quite like. And Joey yes. mentioned the grunting as well, yeah. which is controversial among fans of the series, to say the least. Um, I also love that, like, in the opening scene with the mask, you can see the beard under it. You don't see it as much yes. in the first movie, but I love that you yes. can see the great big bushy beard breaking out from <laughs> underneath the Michael Myers mask. Um, all right. Is there anything we haven't talked about with regards to Halloween 2, Rob Zombie's Halloween 2? Anything we want to say before we wrap up? So, Joey, as, like, the Rob Zombie fan <laughs> on the podcast, as the defender in terms of the person who situated him in terms of his career, is there anything you want to add before we move on to the David Gordon Green movies? It's just so nice to be surrounded by fellow Rob Zombie apologists for once. (laughs) It's such a treat. (laughs) There's nothing to apologize for. Where are you on your uh, Zoom screen? (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right. And Grace, is there anything from yourself? Um, I think just two more points. Um, I know we kind of, we, we did mention this earlier, but... I wanted to single out Scout Taylor Compton's performance. I feel like I wrote something in my notes here. I was like, I feel like every wrinkle in her forehead has been like soldered there by pain. Like that's how believable and gut wrenching this performance is. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, and then the the therapy scenes, which we talked about a little bit. But I think um, I know. I think there's actually only is there only, there two, only two scenes, maybe so. three, two. where she yeah, where she's with the therapist. But both of them, to me, were just so telling and felt so real because there's so much frustration in her that she's not getting better and that it's such a protracted process and that there isn't an easy fix. And the idea that, like, you know, to recover from trauma, you have to sort of relive it over and over again and kind of go through how it's affecting you and try and rewire the way your brain responds to it. Like, I just feel like her resistance to that is so visceral and so vivid. And then also, I feel like it underlines the necessity of doing so as well. Um, but both in those scenes and obviously thematically in the movie it goes through that as well um, but it's just I feel like there's a sort of a, a not indulgence is the wrong word but I feel like the movie gives space to those scenes that lesser movies would not yeah and they're unflinching as well like they're not trying to put yeah. a sheen over it like I know everyone was mad about that movie Smile that came out a while ago I thought it was trash and one of the reasons yeah, I thought it was trash 
But one of the reasons I thought it was trash was because of the treatment of mental health and especially those kind of sequences. And this just, it again, it, it just doesn't turn away from them. It just shows, she, she's not getting better and she's frustrated that she's not getting better. And she's like, why is this taking so long? And her therapist is frustrated too because she wants to help her. She doesn't want her to think she's just using her for money. She's like, and it's. I think all of that is is very realistic. And you're right. A lot of movies would shy away from that because it's easier to show. Oh, she's doing better now. I know. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like Barbara is kind of like, how about how about do the breathing exercises just one, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> Like, but, but no, I, 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 I totally, uh, no, I, 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 it, it, it can be extremely uh, alienating. Yes. That's a good word. To be in that, uh, uh, position with a therapist where they can't possibly understand, you know? Yes. And, but they're doing and, their best. Yeah, exactly. But, but it's, it's, it, it, it can feel so kind of, um, yeah, the, you 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 can feel so. Yeah, yeah. No, the the movie captures it very well. And I also think there's the implication that she's going through withdrawal as well, like the fact that like she's asking for more prescriptions the second time, mm. and her doctor Barbara is like, "Look, um, you've been you've used the you've you like you should have enough medication to last you forever or for a yeah. while." And she's obviously been taking more of it, and the fact that yeah, that does kind of inform the state that she's in. Um, also, just very quickly before we wrap up, worth noting that the portrayal of Dr. Loomis in this movie, we mentioned the 1960s of it. We mentioned the, Marla, the Charlie Manson poster that's above the bed. Um, the idea that Loomis was modeled on Vincent Bugliosi, the famous prosecutor who basically used Manson as his meal ticket in some interpretations. He wrote books about Manson and turned himself into oh. a celebrity by associating himself with Manson. So Loomis was very much modeled again on that. I also, according to um, to Zombie, he's also Dr. Phil. He's also clearly <laughs> meant to be Dr. Phil, which That's I love. That's good. Well. Interesting. That is good. Rob Zombie is a troll. Good for him. <laughs> Uh, and, and I do think that there is an element of, um, outside of the true crime stuff, and obviously like you have the sequence where Michael sees the billboard there, and you have his mother talk about how he's exploited their pain for profit. So obviously like it, it's part of that exploitative true crime cycle sort of stuff. But I do think there is an element of kind of self-awareness to the presentation of Loomis here, yeah. where he's kind of a stand-in for zombie, or you could see him perhaps as a stand-in for zombie, yeah. where he's this guy who sees himself as this grand lofty artist or this artist who is better than whatever this is he's doing, but who's making like cheap cash-in Michael Myers memorabilia in order to stay afloat and make a quick buck, while also complaining about that and like being up upset at the people reacting to his work and the fact that he's now churning out a sequel in order to like get the cash flowing i i think there is a sense in which a zombie is kind of having a bit of fun at his own expense there with the presentation of loomis where you know you could you could get a sense where he could come across a bit like loomis where he's making these movies but he's also complaining about the process of making these right. movies and there's a sense in which he's he's kind of playing with the fans and he's frustrated with the fans and the fans are frustrated with him and how that all plays out kind of through the loomis character yeah. albeit with yeah. a with a kind of a sly self-aware twist never too serious never too pretentious never too earnest i i really really like that aspect of it and one more thing, last thing I promise before we go, <laughs> I think we mentioned like the true crimeness of it, the 60mm cinematography. I think it is worth noting that the use of 60mm photography is kind of interesting because it 
moves halfway between standard uh, film, which is 35 millimeter, and home film, which is 8 millimeter. Obviously, that's where, you know, many young directors started filming stuff. 8 millimeter, the the J.J. Abrams movie 8 millimeter is named for the fact that, like, Spielberg used to shoot movies on his own 8 millimeter camera. Yeah. And 60 millimeter kind of occupies this weird space between the two. Where it's the kind of, you know, it's reasonably affordable, but it'll be used for local businesses. So it'll be used by local, you know, schools, for example, uh, local, you know, educational videos, training videos, that sort of stuff. Local news reporters would use it back in the day. So it, it kind of has this, again, true crime, gritty texture quality to it, which I think is quite deliberate and quite pointed to... Mm what I think the movie is doing or what the movie is doing with regards to our relationship to the exploitative nature of true crime. Yeah. All right. And then I think that about wraps it up, unless there's anything else we haven't talked about. If anybody else has anything you want to say about Halloween to speak now or forever hold your peace. All right, then. What we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something. It could be something related to the movie that we have just discussed. It could be something unrelated, something entirely different. To give our guests and to give Joey a chance to think about it, I'm going to ask Andrew to go first. I'm really struggling, Darren, because we've done so many of these. Mm. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and and say, like, I watched... Um, I watched Little Things on Netflix and it was fine. There, there, like, it's it, 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 it. That's the Denzel Washington, Jared Leto, um, Remy Malik movie. Okay, it sounds like a glowing endorsement. Denzel Washington, Remy Malik. Oh, is that on there? <laughs> I was gonna watch it just for Jared Leto because I don't. feel like he's definitely the killer. <laughs> don't, 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 don't watch it. Just, just don't watch it. Just, just, yeah, no, just, I, I, Joey, you are not wrong. Well, you are not. You are maybe like the the movie. The movie yeah, is yeah. It's very. It's okay. a very obvious sort of. Yeah. Okay. It's not like reinventing like uh, anything in the genre. It's not a spe- sorry. Yeah, this 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 isn't even a recommendation. <laughs> I watched it. I didn't even finish it. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, <laughs> oh my I God. can't do this. It's the opposite of a recommendation. <laughs> uh, we'll say. Um, I don't know. No, I I will say it was fine. I thought <laughs> it was adequate. fine. Um, yeah. Denzel Washington is in it. Um, it was a film. I do want to watch the end of it. Den- you can't go wrong with Denzel. He's never bad. You would think that you can't go wrong. And then you watch this and you realize you probably can go wrong with Denzel. I thought that oh. he was infallible <laughs> up to that point, but uh, I'm afraid not. Virtuosity, Jay? I, I would take virtuosity. This, that's Citizen Kane compared to this for me. Like it's, uh... <laughs> I, 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 I think I tend to agree that like, you know, like Chris or Walken will mostly do that for a movie. Like he's in a lot of bad movies. He's never bad. Good when when he's in the movie. Yeah, and 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 that this has Denzel in it. So like, there are people who will watch every Denzel Washington movie. So I'm one of them. Um, that's why I've seen this. And you can watch this. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is worth noting that, like, again, this is an interesting chapter in the streaming wars. 
Uh, all the, that movie, The Little Things, was designed to go to HBO Max on Warner Brothers. It was meant to be a streaming exclusive for HBO. And then because of the state that Warners are in at the moment, they sold it to Netflix a year later. They also sold Among Those, Dune is currently on Netflix, which I would entirely recommend watching. Uh, they also had King Richard is on Netflix. A bunch of other Netflix. Oh, the, the Those Who Wish Me Dead is also on Netflix somehow as well. That's the Angelina Jolie firefighter movie. So yeah, you can watch all the Project Popcorn movies on Netflix at the moment. Joey, what would you recommend for listeners? What are you enjoying at the moment? Um, I think I recommended on the previous episode, but I'm going to recommend it again. Uh, Scout Taylor Compton and Daniel Harris do a podcast together talk- called Talk Scary to Me. They talk a lot about the, ho- about the... Yeah, it's great. They talk about sex. They talk about horror. Um, they do a little bit of true crime stuff. I usually skip that because I'm like boring. Um, but they talk a lot about their careers, about being, you know, working in the horror industry, about Halloween. But they just had Tyler Main on... And he's actually officiating uh, Scout's wedding, which I thought was really sweet. Very sweet, it is. Yeah, really sweet. And he just, he was like, he's a great interview. So like that episode will have been weeks ago, but you'll find it easily. He's been on a couple of times and they've had like lots of great people on from horror. Um, They had like Skeet Ulrich on and they're, but it's just, it's nice to hear them talk about their friendship and especially the origins of their friendship as well. Because Daniel Harris is obviously, she's quite a bit older than Scout Taylor Compton when they met on Halloween she didn't really know what to make of her and Scout Taylor Compton was just like really really trying to impress her and it took kind of a long time to break down okay. those walls which I, I find all that stuff like really fun and really nerdy so yeah if you like either of them um, if you're a horror fan it's definitely definitely well worth a listen we should also note Daniel Harris has appeared at this point in as many Halloween movies as Jamie Lee Curtis at this point in our wow. watch, um, well, discounting her voice cameo in Halloween 3. Jay, what would you recommend for this? What are you enjoying at the moment? Um, well, a couple of things. One, I first of all, I'd recommend people go watch other Red Zombie films um, like Lord of Salem Yay. and various others because they're, they're pretty great. Uh, he's a really good filmmaker and really interesting. Maybe not recommended to Andrew per se, but <laughs> to the... Has he done movies that you could recommend? Lords of Salem. I think think Lords of Salem. Yeah, definitely. Lords of Salem is great. Would Lords of Salem work? Okay, I think so. Yeah, Lords of Salem. It's. I mean, it's intense, but it's more psychologically intense. It's not It's. It's not hyper. I think it's not as visceral in that way. Like, it's very, very. It's brilliant. It's absolutely. It is. It's unbelievable. It's. It's quite ghoulish in a very like haunting mesmerizing way i really yeah. really liked it I, yeah. I, I was mesmerized by it that's the exact word i, I look for and um, so I'd, I'd absolutely recommend people go and check out some of the back catalog and reclaim him as a fine fine filmmaker and mm-hmm. um, speaking of fine fine filmmakers what i've done in the last kind of year or so over i've watched the the whole of uh Ida lupino's uh, directing filmography and i'd heartily endorse this i think she made seven features uh the most famous ones would be the hitchhiker and the big and missing outrage but all seven are well worth checking out. From Trouble with uh, Angels is right there. In Trouble YouTube. with Angels is great. Uh, they're like they're all they deal they with kind of social realist topics in, in kind of various genres, sort of thriller, noir, kind of um, even like kind of kind of the Trouble with Angels, which is very different to everything else, but it's absolutely gorgeous and really be, really beautiful, and really sweet. She's really a, cute. She was yeah. a great filmmaker. I mean, a great great filmmaker. And they're all nearly all of them are on YouTube, so you can just and they're all about 70, 80, 90 minutes long and max, and you will have a ball. Go, go watch them all. And Grace, what would you recommend? What are you enjoying at the moment? Um, two things, I guess. One um, related to this movie, if you haven't read Willa McClay's essay on Halloween 2 yes. and its treatment of trauma and why it's so good, it's an excellent read, very incisive, typically smart and not like the usual kind of 
one note take you sent to get on her. She has it on her letterbox as far as I know. Um, so I would recommend looking that up. And then the other thing... And she also has a pat- patron as well if you want to subscribe. Mm. It's well worth doing because she's great. Um, the other thing I'll recommend, I may be way late to the party in this, but we only started watching it a few weeks ago, is For All Mankind on Apple TV, which is excellent. Um, and really like uplifting in a weird roundabout way considering it's exploring alternate history where lots of murky things happen but um i really like it it's very engaging so if you haven't given it a try I, I suggest if you're looking for some new telly i feel like i might be like trying apple tv soon because it's it seems to have good they actually things, have a pretty so. decent variety which i was genuinely yeah, surprised by apple tv is low-key the best streaming service in terms of quality because it, it is a streaming service where it feels like yeah. everything is on there because somebody wanted it to be on there not because there was a spreadsheet yeah. that yeah. said we're missing this show um but it's very it's kind of very yeah. like as in like the stuff that i want to see on it have nothing to do yeah. with each other as in, like, well, one of them is the Pigeon Tunnel, which is, like, the the David Cornwell, like, John le Carre kind of um, uh, Errol Morris uh, biopic, which which feels like it was made for me, <laughs> that has the music of Philip Glass. And I'm like, yeah, there's all the stuff that, like, boring old me will enjoy. And then there's, like, the, the, the they seem to have a really good Steph Curry documentary film as well called, like, Underrated. And like those are two very different, um, like well, sorry, they're 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 both sort of documentaries, but but for for a very different audience, kind of, and yeah, they 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 uh, they just seem to have a lot of great stuff. Blackbird and not the not that version of Blackbird is oh, on there, which I is loved, very good as well. That's loved the, Blackbird. That's the the yeah. Taron Egerton uh, TV oh, show. I really enjoyed fantastic. Mythic Quest. I think Mythic Quest is a great sitcom that is also on there as well. Like. Again, every show is on, even the stuff I don't like, like C, which is Jason Momoa is like a blind man in a world of blind people protecting the only kids who can see in the world. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah what? Like it's from. This sounds like it was cooked up in a lab specifically to annoy you. Yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Like the, the, the editor of The Escapist, Nick, is the only person in the world I know who watches and loves that show. Um, but it does. I've seen the thumbnail. Never gave it a second glance. <laughs> appropriately enough, but it's great. It's from the writer of Serenity. Um, Dude, you know that the the tuna fish called Justice movie. It's always a thumbnail when it's like beefy Jason Momoa. It's not a fingernail. <laughs> yeah. Wait, you like Serenity isn't just Whedon? No, Serenity, as in the uh, Matthew McConaughey uh, Anne Hathaway tuna fish named Justice movie. Oh, uh, what? Have what? you not? Have you not heard this? Matthew McConaughey's what? a fisherman who is trying to. Catch- I have heard this, but this, yeah, I've heard it was very, very strange. Uh, I remember it from a few years ago. Okay, yeah. um, Andrew, the twist is insane. Andrew has watched that movie, I believe, with me. We've watched that movie together, have we? What movie? Matthew <laughs> McConaughey is trying to catch a tuna fish named Justice. I remember the posters no. right now, but yeah, I've okay. never seen it. We wa- it was like Book of Henry. It feels like it was around the time we watched Book of Henry. It is in- it's insane. It's incredible. It's not a good movie, but it is incredible. It stars like Mark, uh, sorry, Jeremy Strong is in there as the accountant or the auditor, I think the role is, who's a man with a briefcase who just wanders through scenes looking to- for Matthew McConaughey. Who did you... It- who who did you see this with? I don't, that's a question for another time, Andrew. All right, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna wrap up. Uh, in terms of recommendations for myself, I normally recommend a, a movie in a franchise corresponding to the number of the Halloween franchise we're talking about. I don't think there are enough horror franchises that have good tenth movies in them, so I'm not going <laughs> to do that. Uh, 
The Amityville. Is the 10th Amityville any good? You've watched all 30 of them, Jay. Is the 10th I haven't. one... There's about, there's, about, there's about 70 of them now, and I've watched about nine, I think. Okay. Uh, so I'll let you know. I, I'm into the dr- dross, I think, now, at the, the, the severe drop-off level. <laughs> it's not, it's, it, like, you're trying to think of, like... Like, name any movie better than Star Trek. Jason X is 10, You could probably name loads. Yeah, Jason X would be 10. Jason X is 10. That's David Cronenberg and set in the 22nd century. Fine, fine. Jason X gets in there by default. I'm going to allow it. Fast X. I'm glad. No. (laughs) Yeah, Fast X. (laughs) Another Jason Momoa project. Um, A movie about... Yeah, and he's great. About as Andrew... (laughs) Yeah, he is great. He's great. (laughs) As Andrew described the death of God in modern America, despite Andrew not having seen Fast X. (laughs) I haven't seen the movie. (laughs) I haven't seen it either it's great he's right it is a movie about the death of God in modern America I will never watch it Uh, I I will never watch any of them they're appalling films a character Uh, named Dante (laughs) tries to blow up the Vatican because he died and didn't see heaven it is very much about the death of God in modern America Um, and then I've been watching along with John Carpenter as I go along this comes out in 2009 John Carpenter makes his final film The Ward in 2010 and it is functional it's it's mm. it's fine. It's oh. uh, John Carpenter's Sucker Punch, John Carpenter's Shutter Island, John Carpenter's Identity. Uh, it is a a sadly underwhelming version of other movies. Uh, it's it's made by Carpenter, so it's well made, but it's it's strictly functional, and it feels disappointing to see him go back and do a slasher movie that he'd gone so far away from. All right, then. So if listeners are looking for a bit more Joey, a bit more Jason, a bit more Grace in their lives, where can they find you? Watch out, watch up to some Grace. What do you at? Watch up to where can we find you? Um, Letterboxd, I guess. I don't really use anything else much these days except for Instagram. And that's about it. I I literally never go on Twitter anymore except for when it's Beyond Friday. So, yeah. And Jay... Uh, I'm still on Twitter when this goes out whether it will be or not I'm trying to get banned to go out spectacularly but it hasn't succeeded as of yet but, uh, whether I'm, Twitter will still exist when this thing mm. goes out to... <laughs> I don't know but uh, I'm, I'm on there at JPR call but I may I may or may not be gone by the fine thing don't follow me I'm not worth following all of this is playing about shit <laughs> Jay wanders into a shack in the middle of the woods where Elon Musk is like meeting the engineers from Twitter. It's like, I owe you this. I owe you this. <laughs> Thank you. I'll do that. Jay Loomis. I shot him six times. <laughs> and you just share your location on Twitter and it's like drone strike here. Um, then then you'll you'll get banned from Twitter, certainly. <laughs> like that, that's the only guaranteed way. I don't want to be too mean about it because I don't want to absolutely destroy somebody for the crack. Like, but but I also want to go too far. That's just enough to get me booted. So I just have to find a happy balance. You, 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 I, I, I would say that. And, you... and I've had previous because I've been banned before. So, you know, I've, I, you know, it's not, it's not new to me. <laughs> <laughs> you, you probably need a, a confederate. And I don't mean the, the, the type that are on Twitter. I mean, somebody <laughs> somebody to cooperate with you so that they, they're not actually a real human being being bullied. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do. An actor. A crisis yeah, actor, actor, perhaps one yeah. might say. <laughs> um, but Joey, where can we find you? What, yeah, watch up there. Somebody beloved on Twitter, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> am I beloved? I do not think I am beloved. You are, you are popular. Not with the Star Wars um, I'm not, I'm, I'm not as popular. I'm at Joey LDG, which uh, Darren loves because it means living dead girl, which is a Rob Zombie reference. I have written defenses of both of the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. They're both on Wicked Horror, uh, if you want to read them. 
And yeah, I, I don't know if Twitter will still be a thing when this comes out. We live in hope. Yeah. In in uh, my defense, is it, is it, it is not as I, if I've heard that it's growing. Is that the, 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 I, he would never lie to us? I, I'm, I'm, Am I am I just repeating like Elon Musk talking? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and does that mean that I'm repeating Vladimir Putin talking points? Technically, I, I don't know. I do, I do. Where's your emerald mine? <laughs> <laughs> they have lives and rights, Andrew. Lives and rights. Um, in my defense, Joey, I will say that I only mentioned Living Dead Girl because it felt germane to the two previous films that we have discussed. <laughs> I promise I will bring it up less often when we talk about um, the David Gordon Green movies. Of course, the fact that your middle name is George Washington will probably come up, it but I, I, I can't help, help that. <laughs> I, I can't help. Um, oh. Living Dead Girl is a bop. Also. It's such a good song, and he whenever he that whole album is a good bop. But when he does it live, he's always like, "Where are the ladies?" <laughs> <laughs> in case he, in case people didn't know, Rob Zombie does like a weird country accent when he's on stage, but he's actually from Massachusetts. So yeah, it does. that's why his Halloween movies seem like they're set in the country because that's like his whole persona. Yeah, like the Chicago suburb that is also somehow the Midwest. But sorry, yeah, yeah, and everyone's from the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're like I, I was in New Hampshire, and sometime occasionally you find yourself in the countryside and people no longer talk like they're from New England. Like you know, they, they like to say wicked. Uh, <laughs> like everything is wick- wicked smart. Oh, oh man, it was w- <laughs> wicked smart. <laughs> but then so occasionally you, you, you run into kind of like, I guess what, what they would, uh, anyway, sorry, uncharitably call hillbillies. They don't talk like that. And they talk like how you expect kind of Appalachians to speak. I don't know. It's weird. Um, but yeah. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> what a note to end on. Smooth segue, Andrew. I appreciate the setup for the segue. Anyway. Um, speaking of which. Speaking of which. On a, we, next week, we'll be taking a break from the Halloween franchise because Christmas is coming up and it's time for our annual Christmas traditions. We are going to be doing the Lord of the Rings, hopefully with the wonderful Deirdre Malumbi. But first of all, next week, we're going to be doing Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. And joining us for that, we have two spectacular guests, hopefully. First of all, the wonderful Luke Dunn. And with a bit of luck, the sensational Richard Drum, who seemed actually excited to be talking about the movie, so I don't feel too guilty. Oh my god, those poor two lads, honestly. Like, I honestly, I wouldn't wish that my worst enemy... <laughs> And I've I only seen not... 10 minutes of the film and it's an abomination. Who do we see cuts with? I, I, like, Richard was like, thank you for thinking of me. And I was like... I, I would have been like the only person vaguely going to bat for it and not because I think it's any good, but just because I hate the one before. It's so viscerally I'm, I'm happily hate bad. them all because it's a dreadful franchise and we should yeah. all go away. But anyway, that's, that's just... I am, I am actually very, very like burned out in it now, which yeah. is sad. But I'm yeah. more on Jason's side, yeah, where like I don't see much of a distinction <laughs> between... <laughs> It all just looks like shiny dog shit to me, but what do I know about films? <laughs> so, speaking of Rob Zombie torturing a franchise on the way out, join us next week for a discussion of The Rise of Skywalker with the fantastic Richard. We, maybe maybe we love yeah. it. <laughs> Tune in next week to find out. I'm your, guest. I'm your special guest. <laughs> we, we should note, by the way, that myself, Joey, and Andrew have been recording for about five hours at this point, so we have already started oh, to go Jesus, mad. Right, let's wrap this up. Jesus Probably Christ. Oh, Thank you yeah. so much. My my laptop battery is also okay. going to die. Well, you're 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 well welcome, done, Joey. Well done.
<laughs> thank you. Did great work, everyone. Thank you, Joey. Thank, thank you, so Andrew. Much, thank guys. you so much, Jay. Cheers. Thank you, Grace. Thank, thank you so much. No, I I enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, Thanks me too. Everyone. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye. See you. Bye. Bye.